This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Tucker Brand Flashlights. Tucker Brand Flashlights, when you absolutely, positively must have the biggest light in the room. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And this week it's a haunted house week, I guess? Or haunted people week? Haunted people. With 2000's What Lies Beneath and 2010's Insidious. What Lies Beneath, as of this month, is 20 years old and officially an antique. Do you realize she's 20 years old? I mean, that makes her officially an antique. But before we get to the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Horror trivia. Give me what you got. David Naughton and Griffin Dune play a pair of unfortunate backpackers in this 1981 lycanthrope classic. An American werewolf in London. Correct. Kelsey, this is just really interesting, and I'm sorry, but I don't think you're going to get it. Okay. The town of Adamant, Vermont, is a real town. Oh. It changed its name from its original name, which it shared with a famous biblical town. What name did it used to have? Hell. (laughs) The famous biblical town, Hell. Yes. I'll give you a... Oh, no, no, I I do know the answer, actually, now that you just said that, Uh that sparked it. It's Sodom. It is Sodom. It used to be Sodom. That is right. I don't know why I know that. Congratulations. (laughs) Yes, Sodom, Vermont, until... They changed their name, like, huh, (laughs) in the early 1900s. (laughs) I think like 1905 or something like that. All right. Well, that takes us to our first film, 2000's What Lies Beneath. Story by Sarah Kernachan and Clark Gregg. Screenplay by Clark Gregg. Directed by Robert Zemeckis. Starring Harrison Ford, Michelle Pfeiffer, Catherine Town, Miranda Otto, and James Remar. Clark Gregg might be a name you recognize because he is Agent Phil Coulson from the MCU movies and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He wrote this movie and he wrote and directed Choke, the movie based off the Chuck Palahniuk novel as well. So he's done other things. (laughs) What is What Lies Beneath about? A married couple experience paranormal activity in their home after their daughter goes off to college. It is free on various services with various subscriptions and with commercials, depending on which service you use, uh, including Amazon Prime, Showtime, Crackle, and Fubo TV. It's $3 to rent and $10 to buy on most services, although if you're looking to buy it, it's only $7 on Prime and Vudu. Should people watch What Lies Beneath? I think you should. It's not as good as I remembered it being. Yeah. But you should still see it. But I think it was definitely underrated in its time. It kind of flew under the radar. It was a small little thing that Zemeckis was doing in between filming for Castaway. (laughs) Apparently Tom Hanks 
was trying to lose all that weight. And so filming was put on hold and Zemeckis went off and made this movie in the meantime. So it wasn't like this big effort, big budget. We're going to, you know, put a lot of marketing dollars into this sort of movie. And a lot of people got really upset when the trailer seemingly spoiled things. And it kind of did, if I remember correctly. Well, from what I've been told, trailers actually want to give you the whole story. Yes. Which seems stupid. (laughs) Here's the thing that you come to realize over time. Once you know you want to watch something... Stop watching trailers. (laughs) Because trailers are not sneak peeks. Trailers are trying to convince people to watch a movie that wouldn't otherwise. And so they're for all those people that aren't intrigued just by the premise. And if you are, trailers are going to tell you more than the premise. And a lot of times, customers, potential customers, just want to know what they're getting into. And so, I mean, that's just a fact of the matter. It makes people who are already interested in seeing a movie kind of upset, especially when it's the first time you see a trailer. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, this movie looks interesting, and you're, the trailer's not over with, and it keeps going, and then it keeps revealing things. So sometimes it's unavoidable. But for the most part, if you know you want to watch a movie, if you want to play a game, whatever, stop watching the trailers. Stop ruining things for you. You can take our advice or leave it, but when we get back, we will talk about the year 2000s. <laughs> what lies beneath? Uh-huh. Missing girl. Did you know her? No. She was the secret he kept from his wife. <gasps> Norman? Now. Norman! She's mad. <laughs> she's dead. I had an affair with her. When I tried to break it off, she threatened to kill herself. <laughs> and she's back. Stop it. Harrison Ford, Michelle Pfeiffer. I think she's starting to suspect something. <sighs> What lies beneath? Rated PG-13. Starts Friday, July 21st. Kelsey, the title is a pun. Okay. It doesn't mean what rests beneath. I mean, it does, but it also, it's talking about the lies that underlie this relationship and what's going on. Yep. And we know that because the way the title fades out. Yes. Lies fades out last. (laughs) <laughs> Walk us through the beginning of the what lies symbolism <laughs> of this film. <laughs> Talk to us about what lies beneath and how it begins, Kelsey. Well, we do begin with underwater credits, uh-huh. letting us know that something is lying beneath the surface of the water. But as Chris has already pointed out, sorry, lies not- appears first, <laughs> not fades out last. Yeah. <laughs> And at first it starts, like, underwater in, like, the lake that they live by, but it eventually comes into the bathtub where Michelle Pfeiffer is, and we see that she was experiencing the credits with us. Yeah. She had some sort of vision. hmm So she gets out of the bath, and she's going to do something that does not work. I've tried this so many times. Pointing your hairdryer at your vanity. At your fogged up mirror uh-huh. after you've taken a shower, I guess in this case a bath. It, it's never done shit for me, so I don't know. Here's the question. Either how hot was that bath or how quick was it that it's still fogged up by the time she gets out of it? Well, when we get out of showers and it's really cold outside, it's still totally fogged Yeah, up. but that's because there's constantly hot running water and, and that causes the fog 
but if it's a drawn bath that then you get into and proceed to clean yourself and relax in, <laughs> that's, that shit cools down. It's not going to be fogged up when you get out of it. Such a minor grievance, but it's something I couldn't get out of my brain. <laughs> she will see their their neighbors fighting outside. Just letting you know this whole subplot is a total red herring. Yes. But it will be very important throughout the story. Because it gets her paranoia rolling. Yes. If it weren't for them arguing and causing her distress, who knows how this would have played out. Uh Uh-huh. Well, they probably would have lived happily ever after. That's what. (laughs) Maybe. She is getting ready to send her daughter off to college, and they want the audience to know how substantial their relationship is because it's gonna her daughter leaving is going to be why so many people are going to brush off her crazy paranoia because people are going to be like you're dealing with the loss of your daughter you've already had a really rough year things are not as crazy as you think they are a year prior michelle pfeiffer was in a pretty bad car accident where she wrapped her car around a tree and we don't find out a lot of that towards the beginning more more and more stuff about that is revealed to us as the movie goes on but she downplays that as just a normal accident but everyone kind of around her is very concerned about her uh and so when she starts getting really paranoid about things they're wondering if this is that coming back and if they should worry about her more claire is her name by the way They end up taking their daughter off to college, and she cries as soon as she walks away. It's very cute. That night, they are getting ready to have sex, and I'm just like, damn, be nice to be married to Michelle Pfeiffer. (laughs) And then a lot of people might be like, well, be nice to be married to Harrison Ford. Yeah, in the 80s when he was Indiana Jones, maybe. (laughs) Harrison Ford, he's an attractive man, and he always will be. But... Michelle Pfeiffer is absolutely stunning and has been her entire life. Yes. So they're about to have sex, and then they can hear their neighbors having extremely loud sex. Yes. So they, they're they trying to build up the neighbor relationship as being extremely volatile. Yes. They have big fights, but then they also have big makeups. What is he doing to her? I guess they're making up. Wait. Leave it open. Think we can take him? the try. So the next day, she is looking at old pictures because her daughter's gone and she's feeling nostalgic. This is where we will learn that she used to be a cellist. Yep. And she is kind of depressed about the fact that she no longer is a cellist. Hey guys, we could have themed this episode around stay-at-home musician moms. We could have. <laughs> It's another thing that (laughs) combines these movies together. And this is when we will first see the evidence of a car accident. We will see pictures of this car, and it, it says insurance claim. Yeah. And she starts to have a panic attack. So she runs outside to get some air, and she's crying. And what does she realize is going on? Her neighbor's crying, too. Yes, her neighbor is out there being just as dramatic as she is. Uh Uh-huh. She is watching her over the fence, trying to talk to her. And during the scene, we get to see this gorgeous property. Uh, <laughs> Lakefront, yes. enormous house, tons of windows, just 
If Kelsey could live anywhere, this is where she'd want to live. Yes. She'd like to have a big backyard that empties out onto a pier on a lake. Or the ocean. Or the ocean, yes. That'd be amazing. Uh Uh-huh. But so she's trying to get her neighbor's attention, like, hello, what's wrong? Do you want want to talk to me? And the way this lady responds is ridiculous. She acts like a sociopath. Like, she's running around and, like, she only... So Michelle Pfeiffer finds a knot hole in the fence. Yes. And the only time we get to see a close-up of the neighbor lady is her eye. And she gets up real close, and you can only see her eye, and it's very creepy. But it's like, who would they behave this way? Miranda Otto, apparently. Well, but we end up getting to know this character later, and it makes no sense that she would act this way. Well, we don't really get to know her. We we meet her, like, a couple of times. But she's she's super dramatic. Uh, they both apparently work at... The school where Harrison Ford works? The the guy does. So I thought they both did. No, they're okay. both stay-at-home wives. Oh, okay. She's talking to her, and she's like, what's wrong? And the neighbor says, I can't breathe. Have you ever been so consumed with a feeling for someone that you think you're going to disappear? It's too much, and I can't. I can't breathe. <laughs> What? What are you afraid of? The one day I'll just, just disappear. <laughs> this woman, though, by the way, Miranda Otto, she is probably most famous for being Eowyn from the Lord of the Rings movies. She is no man. You fool. No man can kill me. I am no man. Michelle Pfeiffer tries to say, you know, like, can I help you? Is there anything I can do? And she's like, I've never even met you. Uh huh. But also, why are you acting like a crazy person? But then she hears something. Yes, her husband has gotten home, so she runs inside. Forget what I said. I don't even know what I'm saying. <laughs> runs away like in scary movie. Yes. <laughs> yes. So that night, Michelle Pfeiffer is sitting there with her husband, Harrison Ford, and she's like, he's, she sounded terrified of him. He's like, honey, nothing is happening. People argue. They fight. This is not our business. Mm -hmm. And she gets really mad. He is like, look, I have to work tonight. Like, can we not be upset about what our neighbors are doing? Mm -hmm. And she's just like all miffed. And he's like, okay, fine. I'll look into him tomorrow. I promise. And he does. He does, yeah. Because he has a friend who's who works in the psych department with him. Yes, because he's a psych teacher and he's the married. Is. James to a crazy Remar lady. is. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. So the next day, Michelle Pfeiffer tries to be neighborly and puts together a welcome basket, with but nobody's home. Some wine and some roses, wild flowers, wild roses. But when she goes over there, nobody's home. What does she find? She finds a bloody. Shoe or sandal? Yes. Yeah. And she picks it up and puts it on the railing. Now, here's the thing. If you truly believe that your neighbor is a murderer and possibly murdered his wife, and you have possibly found a clue, would you move it so that the neighbor knows you know? I wasn't even thinking about it from that perspective. I was thinking about it from the cop's perspective. 
would you disturb what could potentially be evidence? That but too. at this point, I don't think she's she's getting to that place where she's going to start thinking that he killed his wife. But she's not there yet. At this point, she doesn't know what it is. She's probably trying to talk herself out of being paranoid. I totally get that. But still, if you're thinking that he possibly killed somebody, I wouldn't want him to know that I know. Uh-huh. <laughs> that would be the last thing I would want him to uh-huh. know. Her friend. Jody Comes by. Do we know Jody from somewhere? I mean, not particularly. The actress is Diana Scarwood. I mean, she's a character actress. You've seen her in a lot of things. She's in one or two episodes of various TV shows. Uh, but for our purposes, she was in Psycho 3. Are we going to watch the whole the Psycho franchise? Mm-hmm. Okay. And she's the adult Christina in Mommy Dearest. Mm. If you consider Mommy Dearest to be a horror. Which there are arguments. People don't. Yeah. So, she has stopped by to check in on her friend. Now, here's the thing. I don't have friends that just stop by. Okay? So maybe this is a thing. It's also the year 2000. You were still a teenager at the time. Right. But if my friends stop by, would it be for all of five seconds? I think she said she was on her way. She was in the neighborhood. She just wanted to check in on her and... Show off her new car. Which she got in a divorce. Yes. <laughs> she says something to the effect of, aren't divorces great? You lose a husband and gain a car. Nice. Yes, it's a beautiful thing, alimony. You lose a husband, get a car. She's going to use it to pick up hot young men. <laughs> pick up dudes, yeah. yes. <laughs> Think it'll help me pick up dudes? Absolutely. Cool. But that's literally all? Like, it's a weird little scene. Yeah. But it, it does give us a little bit more insight into the fact that this was a big car accident. Because she's like, look, it's been a year and I know that your daughter just left. And and Michelle Pfeiffer's like, why is everyone treating me like I am this little piece yeah. of glass? Well, because big shit has happened to you and your life is changing drastically. So even before she really knows anything about, you know, the paranoia and all of that and, and gets to be worried about her current behavior... Even before any of that, Jody's kind of like, are you okay? Later, we're going to find out that she has so much anxiety that she can't sleep at night. Yeah. But we don't know that yet. All we know is that she just she's up late a mm. lot of the time. And we get to see that during nighttime, when she's bored and does nothing to do, she plays solitaire. And did <laughs> you see what the theme was of her solitaire game? It was Alice in Wonderland. Oh, I didn't notice that. I was like, it's me. Of the card deck? (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) So while she's doing this, a storm starts, and I'm just like, oh, God. I want to live in a house where there's a storm by the water. Uh Uh-huh. I want it so bad. But as she's closing up the windows because of the storm, she looks out across the way, and what does she see? She sees, because of course she does, <laughs> it's the it's the big trope, it's in, you know, movies like Rear Window and stuff like that. The suspicious man, who may have killed his wife, carrying something out of the house in bags or whatever. In the dead of night. Uh-huh. So she, of course, now thinks, well, he definitely did it. Uh-huh. That was the body. Yeah. Also, the next day, she will start to notice, but she doesn't say anything. So a lot of the time in this film, you might be wondering, why doesn't she 
tell him more stuff. And you'll feel that way with Insidious, too. Yeah. Why not just tell them everything? Right. But it depends on... It doesn't on make for a good script, partially. That. But also, there are people who just will not believe you no matter what evidence are you have. Are we going to have this conversation no now or are we going to have say, this conversation during Insidious? No one... <laughs> Certain people just will not believe you. So what's the point in telling them, right? Kelsey is calling me a bad husband. Let's get this out of the way right now. Chris swears up and down that he would not believe me no matter what. Not no matter what. I think I set out very specific rules for what would convince me that our house was haunted. Chris admits that he would be just like Harrison Ford or Patrick Wilson in that he would just come up with excuses for every little thing. Absolutely would. I think there are plenty of things that we do not understand and sometimes our minds race to the most outlandish result. But Occam's Razor would refute that. So there is no point in me ever telling Chris the things that I see, because he will not believe me. So why should these women do it? No, I mean, I would think less, like, the stuff, we'll get to Insidious, but uh, about all the things that I would think. But I would I would be more prone to think that there was an actual physical intruder in the house than that it's ghosts. <laughs> That's the difference between Kelsey and I. I do not believe in ghosts. I just don't believe. I've never seen anything myself. I don't believe either because I have not seen anything, but it would not be hard to convince me if I had seen something. I've just never seen a single thing. That There's also a very that. particular moment in Insidious where I'm like, okay, I would be convinced now. <laughs> well, we'll get to that. My word would not be enough. I think both movies, both husbands say, okay, but what do you want me to do about it? <laughs> And that's a position that maybe stereotypically husbands get put in a lot where their wives will tell them, this thing is wrong. And it's like, okay, but what do you want me to do about it? <laughs> we have ghosts. And? <laughs> so the next day, she's going to start noticing that her front door is being left open. It opens. Yes. She reaches for it and it opens on its own as if just it wasn't closed all the way and it didn't click. And the way that door latches work, yeah, just give it a little bit of pressure and the thing just pops open on its own. There's a little ramp in there that is spring-loaded that will push it open a little bit. Come on. <laughs> there are physical reasons why this stuff happens. So that happens a couple times. And then that night, uh, her husband has to stay late. So she's out with the dog at the lake. She's got a dog named Cooper. She throws his toy into the water. And he won't jump in. He won't even go near the edge of it. And he's growling at it. And she's like, what the heck? And as she tries to go and get her ball, what does she see? A face. Or like a body. Yeah. And I think they do this stuff pretty well. Yeah. I like the way that they bring images to surfaces and then kind of use the water to get rid of them. I thought it was very good. You've seen it in a billion different things, but... It can be cheesy, and they had to do it a lot in this movie, and yeah. I thought that they did a very good job of it every time. 
But, like, she's super calm even after she saw a person in the water, which I certainly would not be. I think she's trying to convince herself that she didn't see what she thinks she saw. (laughs) And once we know the truth, we know she didn't. There is no body there. Well, we know that there's a ghost. But do we? Oh, my God. I, guys, if I ever punch my husband in the face... It will be because of this. Like, I can't. I think that there is reasonable doubt here in this movie. We just punch you in the face multiple times. I don't think that there's anything in this movie that happens that couldn't have happened if there were no ghosts. What? We'll get to it. I'm so frustrated with you right now. I'm sure my laughter isn't helping. So, when she's inside, more creepy things are happening, like the radio comes on by itself and then turns itself off, so she's just like, fuck this shit, and drives to his lab. Uh Uh-huh. And the reason that they need her to go to this lab is because we need to find out what her husband is working on. What is he working on? He's working on a sedative, which shuts down pain receptors as well as the communication between your brain and non-essential functions of the body. And they're testing it on rats. So they can do, like, surgery on a person without having to knock them out. Yes. Which you might wonder, why would they need that? Uh, Some people have really, really bad uh, experiences with anesthetics. Mm -hmm. Myself included. So she goes there, and we get to see that stuff that they're making, She'll tell him about a lot of the stuff she's experiencing, but, like, she never tells him about the door, which is interesting, because that would be, like, the most, well, we need to fix that. <laughs> I mean, that's hap- that's literally happened to me before. <sighs> right, but if your front door is broken, like, that's a thing you need to fix. Sure. We will get some insight into Harrison Ford's character, and I don't know that we got enough. I mean, look. He doesn't need to have a background to be an asshole. Yeah, his background is really, really straightforward. His father was a very, very famous scientist and had recently passed away. And he still gets confused for his father all the time whenever people hear his name. So he's kind of living under his father's shadow. And he's trying to become his own man and have his own discoveries and reputation and that's kind of that kind of uh drives his ambition and why he's so desperate all the time yes she will also notice that a particular frame keeps getting broken yep it keeps falling over the first time it totally could have been her fault the second time she was nowhere near it so it's like what's happening here why does this particular frame keep getting broken she ends up finding a key in the vent underneath the table that this frame is sitting on. There's like a floor vent that kind of peeks out underneath it. And she doesn't know what it is or where it goes to or anything. It has this sort of like Orin-like interlocking Trinity design to it. Yes. I wrote a note here that I very quickly figured out. And I was like, oh, it's actually pretty interesting. I wrote down, God, I hate her wardrobe. It's so dull and boring and lifeless. Well, what I wrote was, that's the point. Yeah, uh uh-huh. She's the dull, Uh boring wife. Yeah. 
And then, you know, I was like, oh, that's fun. <laughs> Cute little things that they put in there. But so what does she do? Later that night, she's on the phone with Jody and staring at her neighbor through binoculars. And they're talking about how he's eating like a microwave dinner, <laughs> like for one, you know? Yes. And how suspicious that is. And then when she looks away, he's gone and she can't find him. And at one point when she's looking through the binoculars, it looks like he's looking right at her. Yes. It was very, it's a creepy little moment. In, a, in any binocular scenario, this is going to exist. These are the rear window elements of the movie. And they don't last too long. Well, she does watch him take her basket. Oh, yeah. And throw away the flowers in the basket. <laughs> and I love that she's and like. And take the booze and just drink the booze straight out of yeah, the bottle. Yeah, she totally judges him <laughs> for it. <laughs> After he's staring at her. Uh-huh. She keeps looking. And I'm like, why would you keep doing it? It's not even like the house is that far away. You have plausible deniability if you're just looking out your window. But when you're staring with binoculars, there's no questioning what you're doing. Exactly. I mean, I'm looking at birds in the middle of the night. <laughs> <laughs> and then she hears a noise and we're all scared. But who is it? It's her husband. Yes. And he's like, what are you doing? And she's just like, have you not been seeing all this stuff? Blah, blah, blah. And he's just like, maybe she was abducted by aliens. You don't fucking know. Yeah. Like, leave this alone. He's like, we have a dinner with Stan tonight. And she's like, okay, okay, okay. I'll be ready. I'll be ready. Don't worry. They go to dinner. This is where we find out that, yes, her first husband died. And at dinner, he will do... One of the most dick things ever. Oh, he will call out her paranoia in front of the other... He will tell his friend. Yeah. And this girl... Well, okay. He's dating somebody, and she just so happens to be a person that Michelle Pfeiffer used to work with. uh Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, but still, like, he just brings it up out of nowhere. She's been seeing ghosts at home. (laughs) She thinks our house is haunted. And it's just like, what... Dick. Yeah, no, that's really shitty. I, w- I don't. I would like to think I wouldn't do that to you. Thank you. And as they're having this conversation, we find out that her friend is like, "I'm so into this. I totally believe in ghosts." And you think that's going to go somewhere, but it doesn't. I think it's what convinces her to get a Ouija board. Mm. But as they're talking, Harrison Ford goes, "I know what it is. It's my dad." Who's mad that we're uh, renovating the house. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody's just like, you dick. Like, <laughs> nobody at the table is impressed with him. Like, he, just fuck this guy. Yeah. So she sees steam coming out of the bathroom. Yeah. And she walks in, and the bathtub is totally filled to the absolute brim, which is not actually possible. Yeah, so the way bathtubs are made is they have an overflow spout that the water drains out of if it reaches up to that point. You can actually see on this one, I think it's where the stopper is attached to the edge. There's some holes in that silver plate, and that's where the water would drain out of. But we see it all the time over that point, and it just stays up there. You could wave it away by saying, it's ghosty water. (laughs) Except for it happens in scenarios where the ghosts would not be involved or supporting that. So... It's just a, hey, you know, we need this to be creepy. 
we know bathtubs don't work this way, or maybe we don't. But they, <laughs> but they had to, they had to rig that bathtub to not drain on its own. Mm-hmm. So the in the moment, the filmmakers had to have known that that was the case. So she goes to pull the plug out of this fold bathtub that she did not run, mm-hmm. and in the water she sees a reflection. Of a dead woman. Uh, Well, it's another blonde woman that looks kind of like her a little bit. Yes. One of the big distinctions between her and this ghost woman is their eye color. Michelle Pfeiffer has blue eyes and this woman has green eyes. And it's depending on what TV you're watching it on, what surface you're using, it may or may not be noticeable. Right. It's kind of hard to see the difference. Yeah. But... It happens, and there will be changes. And it scares her so bad that she screams. And I think her husband runs in. So the next shot is of her sitting in a therapist's office. Yeah. And who's our therapist? Dr. Drayton, played by Joe Morton, who I think the public mainly knows him as uh, Miles Dyson from Terminator 2. Yes, that's how I know him. I was like, I know I've seen you before. He's also Cyborg's father from the new Justice League movies. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. But so we find out that her husband has basically forced her to go to therapy. Yes. So implying that they've had some more discussions and Harrison's like, uh... Well, and it's affecting her physically. Like, she can't get to sleep and she talks about the medications she takes. How she takes Valium at night because she can't sleep. And he's like, so do you only get anxious at night? She's like, no, I just can't sleep at night. Yeah. (laughs) Implying that she is always anxious. Yes. Are you on medication? No. Well... Valium for sleeping. Having trouble sleeping? Sometimes, um, when I get anxious. Do you get anxious only at night? No, I only take Valium at night. She ends up just coming out and saying it. There's a ghost in my house. I think it might be. She says she looks like me, but she has green eyes. And his interesting response is not concern or worry, but why don't you try making contact? Yeah, because from a therapist's point of view, it's it's less, oh my God, there are ghosts, but you think there are ghosts. That's more interesting to the therapist. And so let's explore that. You know, why that may be. Is there something we can do to help calm that anxiety down? Maybe let's let's explore that further. Mm-hmm. In this case, try reaching out to her. See what happens. Because the therapist doesn't expect that it's going to be some dangerous scenario, that any of it's real. Right. So her response is, okay, I'll go and buy a Ouija board. Yes. And her and her friend have a little seance on the floor of the bathroom, which is where she first saw the ghost. Yes. With the Ouija board in between their legs. Yes. And I found it odd that her friend found this silly because her friend seems kind of a free spirit. Yeah. And might enjoy it more, I would think. Yeah, but she's also being silly. She's a free spirit and she's being silly. That makes sense. This is Jody, the same woman who had the new car stop by and visited her. But Michelle Pfeiffer thinks that she is being 
haunted by the ghost of the woman next door. Yes. And so she has brought over the shoe, and I love her friend's response of, is that the dead woman's shoe? Uh-huh. Oh my God, is that blood on the shoe? <laughs> like, I just, uh-huh. I love, uh, like, oh my God, was there really a murder? <laughs> and as they are using the Ouija board, some creepy stuff happens. The candle that they have starts to flicker. A door moves slowly. Something else, the wind, like, picks up or something. Mm -hmm. And the light actually, I think, goes out, maybe? But Cooper runs in and scares the heck out of them. yeah. And, okay, again... It breaks the tension is what it does, and so they kind of forget... They, that allows them to immediately rationalize all of their fears in the moment. But again, her best friend Jody likes to show up for very short periods of time mm-hmm. because they had just opened, I mean, they were drinking a glass of wine. So, like, they had already been hanging out for a little bit, but she had just taken the plastic off the Ouija board. And this was clearly what she had come over to do. They do this one thing for like two minutes, and then her friend is leaving. Yep. Well, we're done here. <laughs> Very strange friend interactions. It's it's those sorts of things where you can all respect to Clark Gregg, but you can see the script. Yes. Yes. That's well put. But as soon as her friend leaves, what happens? The bathtub gets drawn again. Yes. <laughs> those damn ghosts. <laughs> they only ever do it when your friend isn't there. Uh-huh. And then... The mirror gets fogged up again. Yes, but this time, when she looks in the mirror, first she sees her, which scares her. Mm -hmm. And then I think she uses the blow dryer or something. No, she wipes her hand across it. Wipes her hand across it. And then as it drips down. It spells out, you know. You know. Yeah. I like the context that's going on here. I like the reason for the why the ghost is behaving this way. Yeah. I think that that is well put and well done. And I think the scare factor is definitely there. And this mm-hmm. has got a lot of creepy elements to it. But like you said, you can really see the script. And there's too much of that. Mm-hmm. And it will continue. Yes. Like, it starts with the friend, and you're like, a friend doesn't just show up for five minutes and then leave. That feels weird. And then it will just continue on from there. At one point, I think when she went upstairs to see that the, to find out that the bath was drawn, the computer turns on. And then when she sees it later, it types out repeatedly. M-E-F, 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 For M-E-F, winner's M-E-F. initials, yeah. Yeah, for the, for the, for the poker solitaire. game. That is the, oh, it's solitaire? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Yes, M-E-F is written over and over again. And she tries to tell Harrison Ford, her husband, she tries to tell him. He takes it to a weird place. He asks her, are you mad at me? Are you trying to sabotage me? And she's just like, what? (laughs) What does this have to do with you? Something is happening to me. And he just keeps pulling the you're overreacting Uh card. So she ends up going to some function at the school with 
her husband, Harrison Ford, and she sees James Remar from across the way and is like, no, I am confronting him about this. He murdered his fucking wife. And she does. And and Harrison Ford is trying to stop her, like calm her down. This is ridiculous. This is very public. Like, And she's like, no, I'm not putting up with this anymore. I'm confronting him about this. He very obviously killed his wife. And so she comes up to him and confronts him about it. And he's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. She does not just confront him. She makes a scene. Yes. She yells out in front of everyone that he murdered his uh-huh. wife. And he says, this is a great point. He says, I didn't kill my wife. I didn't kill my wife. Which is what Harrison Ford says in The Fugitive. Yes. I don't care. <laughs> I didn't kill my wife. I don't care. As soon as his wife walks up uh-huh. to him. Miranda Otto. It's very, very odd. Like, why? I mean, I guess she's just been pushed over the brink. Yeah. But it's just like, why would you do that? Yeah, no, she's 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 had enough. She's con- been convinced enough. But sure enough, Miranda Otto comes out, and then Harrison Ford apologizes profusely, and they leave. He takes her out of there. Yes, and the next day, the neighbor comes over. Yep. And she's like, I am so sorry. <laughs> I I was very dramatic in front of you, and then I disappear for a couple of days. I'm really, really sorry about that. My husband is obsessed with his work, but everything else about my marriage is perfectly fine. Yeah, but it begs the question, if this ghost isn't Miranda Otto, Mary, who is it? Because Mary's name is Mary Fuhr. M-F. And the initials we got before were M-E-F. So who is M-E-F now if it's not Mary Fuhr? And we also find out why he left in the middle of the night with the packages. I think that's important to say. It's because she left him. That's why she left. Mm -hmm. She left to go and stay with her mom. He went to take her things to her and pleaded with her to come back. Yeah. So there's a rational explanation for the creepy shit you see. <laughs> Chris, you build these stories. Not I don't mean you in particular. I mean human beings build these stories in 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 our heads and we convince ourselves of things that aren't the most logical explanation. And it's times when you do think that that people get away with crimes. But so her friend Jody gets her a book witchcraft ghosts and alchemy. Uh-huh. And everything has seemingly calmed down. And there is another work function that they have to go to. So she puts on her big girl pants and goes. Mm-hmm. This is where we find out a little bit more. We get a we get a little more of a glimpse into what happened to her a year ago. I appreciate that she doesn't know. I'd be probably pissed if the audience was kept out of the loop on this and then everyone knew and everyone was talking about it and they they waited this long to tell us anything. But she's kind of blocked it out herself as well. Yes, she does not remember any of this. So she goes to this party and her husband is off, you know, schmoozing. And one of the wives approaches her and she goes, I haven't seen you in a year and I've been so worried about you. Michelle Pfeiffer is like, why have you been worried about me? I don't understand. And she goes, at the party, you seemed so upset. 
And then she goes, oh, I, I'm just being that old nosy lady. And, and Pfeiffer's like, no, please tell me. I don't know what you're talking about. And she goes, it was as if you had seen a ghost. Mm-hmm. Which she hadn't. Yes. But. Not yet. Uh, it's a very kind lady. She's obviously the host of this party and the party a year ago. Michelle Pfeiffer apologizes for breaking her beautiful crystal. And she's like, please, it belonged to the catering company. It was a cheap piece of crap. Don't worry about it. I'm concerned about you. It was, she's a very sweet woman. A good host, mm -hmm. I would say. Yes. Michelle Pfeiffer also sees James Remar and Miranda Otto at this party. And James Remar mimes strangling his wife and laughs. <laughs> it's and like, oh, God. Michelle Pfeiffer <laughs> does a great job with like a, ah, ha, ha, so funny. Laughter. And then turn and just dead face. Yeah. <laughs> it's so fucking funny when you, when you see people that do that, yeah. you know, and you're just like, ah, somebody's not actually having a good time. <laughs> But so we know something happened to her at this work party a year ago, and she left there, and something else happened. Is around the same time she got into the car accident. Yes. So this is starting to make Pfeiffer aware of the fact that there are things I don't remember. Mm -hmm. And again, that same photo falls over and breaks again. But this time it breaks in such a way that she sees it from the back. Uh-huh. And she sees – so it's a newspaper photo that's in this frame. And the actual article itself is folded up behind it, behind the photo. So you can read the article. But there's also a clip about a missing woman named Madison Elizabeth Frank who went missing around this same time. Mm-hmm. And so she looks her up. Some old-ass technology. Yep. The year 2000 internet. Yes. But I remember when that looked like that. 100%. And she realizes that this is who she's been seeing, so she goes to tell her husband. She says, do you know this woman? Because this is who's been haunting me. And this is when Harrison Ford has had enough. Up until this point, he's been... I don't really believe in you, but I'm worried about you. But this is when he starts to say, Claire, stop it. Enough with this, Claire. Tell me what to do. If this is what you're saying is happening, well, then what do I do? She's just convinced. She says, I know it's her. So what does she do? She drives out to Madison's mother's house to meet her mother, who is very kind, but also kind of out of it. You know, she her brain's kind of broken since her daughter disappeared. Um, and she's like, why are you here? At one point, they're having they're having a conversation. She turns the soaps on, but turns the volume down. But she she asks her, why are you here? And Michelle Pfeiffer's like, I don't know. She claims to have met her at a party. Um, but yeah, she's like, I don't know. And then so Madison's mom says, do you want to see her room? And takes her to see her room. And we find out a lot about Madison. She was a live wire. She was really smart, but she didn't want to be treated like she was. And she just was crazy. Kind of a... She was really smart and did well in school and was successful, but was also wanted to do everything and try everything mm -hmm. and got herself into lots of trouble. And so the, if we think back to the night that they had the seance, when 
Claire was trying to get in contact with Mary, Miranda Otto's character, she brought her shoe because you need something that belongs to them in order to summon them during the seance. So she, what she sees and all of this stuff that belongs to her is a bit of an old braid, mm-hmm. a hair braid that was cut off. So like a lock of her hair. Mm-hmm. And she, we don't see it, but she ends up stealing that. Yes. And the next shot is her with the ghost alchemy conjuring book. Uh-huh. And now she has green eyes in the mirror. Yes. So this is where the eyes become important. And then she runs into... Well, Harrison Ford comes home. Yeah. And she's all sexy time with him now. Yeah, and we've like, seen I- them be sexy time before, but this is a little aggressive. She rips off his shirt and all the buttons fly off. And he's like, that was a new shirt. <laughs> Yes, yes, and she will be, she will have an apple that she'll eat, and then she'll, like, make him do it, and and she'll, like, hurt him a little bit, and she'll be like, shut up, and then she'll be like, shut up, you know, like, she'll get mad, but then she'll use it in a sexy way. Yeah, uh-huh. she'll be really aggressive with him, and at one point, she throws him down on his desk and gets on top of him. While she's straddled on top of him, she looks over at this full-length mirror. That's in the hallway that's angled towards the front door. And we see Claire, Michelle Pfeiffer, standing soaking wet from the rain with a look of disbelief and devastation on her face. And so, like, Michelle Pfeiffer's kind of looking at herself, the version of her in the doorway and the version of her that's on top of Harrison Ford. And then she turns to Harrison Ford And says, I think she's beginning to suspect. And he says, who? And she says, she leans forward and says, your wife. And then her face changes, kind of in a Madison's face. I think she's starting to suspect something. Your wife. And he freaks out and throws her down off of him. Yes, and I I really like... These decisions that they made. I like the way that they shot this. And I love Uh the mystery element that's going on here. And there's a lot that's really good. Yes. What we're going to find out right now is that Harrison Ford had an affair with this Madison, one of his um, students. Yeah. The way she realizes it is, you know, I know. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But we see her face change. He freaks out and he throws her off of him. But it could simply just be Harrison Ford's character upset by the fact that she is role-playing an affair that he feels guilty about. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying when I say we don't necessarily know that there are ghosts. This all could just be a manifestation of people, of her realizing this stuff, and it's just the context in which it happens. The ending proves you wrong. I don't think it does. Okay, well, we'll get there. Uh Uh-huh. I like that she figures it out. That's why I couldn't breathe. That's why I dropped the glass. I can't believe you slept with a fucking student. I gave up everything. And he's standing there watching all of this, and he thinks this is just a kind of her way of dealing with it. He does not believe that she's seen an an actual ghost. He thinks this is her dealing with it psychologically. And so he's just like, wait, but I never asked you to quit. God help me, I slipped once. I made one mistake. So in case you did gather, 
that image of Michelle Pfeiffer in the mirror at the front door, that was what it was like a year ago when Michelle Pfeiffer came home to see her husband having sex with this woman. And that's when she was so devastated. And that's what led to her car accident. Yeah, but the confusion lies in the order of how it happened. It doesn't really matter, but like, when did the party happen in relation to her finding out about it? Did she find out about it and then try to forget about it and then see her? Because Madison shows up at the party and then she leaves the party and gets into a car accident. Yeah. It's a strange... But it's unimportant. Yes. But the progression is odd. But I mean, what we know about Michelle Pfeiffer's character is enough to know that she's unstable and probably wouldn't know how to react to situations. Yeah. So how this scene resolves is that Michelle Pfeiffer tries to kick him out and he refuses to not deal with this problem and he won't leave. And so she leaves and she goes and stays with Jody. Jody, meanwhile, that night apologizes to Claire and we find out what had happened was she had gone to this little town called Adamant, Vermont. And there are a bunch of little shops, and it's this cute sort of town, hippie this town. antique store. Yeah, and, and finds this antique store, and she goes to this diner and sees Norman, Harrison Ford, there with a blonde. And as she walks up, realizing that that blonde is not Michelle Pfeiffer. But at first, she doesn't think anything of it, but it uh-huh. was when they got into an argument, and she's like, it seemed like an argument between... Lovers, not uh-huh. friends. And so she just kind of walked away from it. She she tried to rationalize it. I'm sure it's nothing. And she never told Claire. Well. Claire got into her car accident after that. Right. Yeah. Claire got into her car accident real quick after that. And she explains that when I heard you were in the car accident, I knew that you knew. So you knew about it. Yeah. And when you woke up and you didn't know, you had forgotten Harrison Ford just seemed so desperate for you, just so sad and so mm-hmm. upset that I decided to just let it go. Uh-huh. And I'd like to know what other girls think about this because it's it's a weird position it is. to it's, find it's yourself in. It's an unenviable in. position to find yourself in, yeah. Because I know people who have told me, who have actually told me, if you find out that my husband is cheating on me, I don't want to know. Mm-hmm. And then there are women who, if they knew that you knew, would never forgive you. Yeah, it's interesting that we hold each other to a particular standard based on the things that we would want. Mm -hmm. But we got to recognize that there are people in our lives who don't want the same thing. So how can we expect everyone to behave the same way? Exactly. And get upset over over that sort of thing. And Claire doesn't get mad at her. Right. Jody is mad at herself. But yeah, no, that's that's an interesting sort of thing like i don't want to know you got to ask yo truth above all else be truthful regardless of the consequences and i understand and and respect that but then i also understand and respect the side that's like yeah there is a scenario where the truth would cause more damage than withholding that information and i understand and respect that too so I, i i think you do what the other person would want you to do in that scenario or what you can't live without doing I guess, would be the two standards that I would hold myself to. I would feel the need to tell my friend. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. That's that second part right there. Mm-hmm. 
But so there's a call from Norman that they don't answer, and he leaves a voicemail, and he sounds really worried and nervous about her. So she says, whatever, I'll go see him in the morning. Well, when she gets home, what does she find? He has fallen in the shower with the hairdryer next to him. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, the breaker popped Mm -hmm. and he survived. Otherwise, he'd be dead. Yes. Which seems just super obvious. Well, that's how those plugs are set up. They're set up for that to happen. They're meant to trip. So something dangerous doesn't happen. But so Michelle Pfeiffer takes that to mean that the ghost is trying to kill him. Uh Uh-huh. So Harrison Ford has convinced her that Madison killed herself and is now haunting them. And Michelle Pfeiffer's like, well, she's trying to kill you. So we need to find a way to put this to an end because Michelle Pfeiffer is just the best wife ever and totally forgives him for what happened. So with the lock of hair in her hand with the braid in her hand claire goes out to the pier kind of possessed by madison's spirit and just jumps right in robe and all into the lake harrison ford sees this happen and runs out to her after her and jumps in while underwater she finds this sort of box That she doesn't know what it is. But Harrison Ford, before anything can happen, pulls her back out and saves her life, supposedly. And she's like, oh my god, where's the hair? Where's the hair? And he's like, this? This? Here, I got it right here. And they they get out. And this is when... Exorcism by fire. They take her hair and they burn it. Yeah. And this seems to work. Michelle Pfeiffer is suddenly playing her cello again. Uh Uh-huh. And she says, she's gone. (laughs) I can feel it. Uh Uh-huh. So uh, they go out on their boat. And they're having a great day. And he's like, why don't we go uh, stop somewhere for lunch? Maybe a and b some antiquing? And she goes, how about Adamant? She doesn't say it like that. Have you ever heard of this town called Adamant? And he, and he says, no, I don't think so. And he's like, oh, maybe we could stop there for lunch. Adamant. Adamant? Yeah, an artsy little village down seven. It's supposed to be charming. Do you know it? No. Maybe we'll stop there for lunch. But they don't. It's just she's testing the waters at this point. Yes. So if we remember back to when she found the key, she was wearing her robe, she jumped into the lake, and she found a box while she was possessed as Madison. At one point, she finds that key in the robe again. And so she remembers antiquing, the antique shop in Adamant, and she goes out there on her own to see if she can investigate. She finds the diner where supposedly Jody saw her husband and this woman. And she finds this antique store with this ornate box with a key that matches the key that she has. So she realizes that there's a connection between this box and the key and that that has something to do with Madison. So she jumps back into the lake again and recovers the box that she saw originally down at the bottom of that lake and pulls it back in soaking wet. She comes back inside And opens up the box. She finds 
a necklace that is the same as another necklace she saw in that antique shop. And then Harrison Ford finds her. And so what he explains is that she killed herself in the house and that he needed to, uh, to prevent it from destroying their lives. He disposed of her body. He pushed her car into the lake with her in it. A la psycho. Yes. And got rid of it. And he's begging her to forgive him. And she's like, this needs to be fixed. You need, we, this story needs to be told. She needs to be brought up. Yes. That girl must be brought up. He says, okay. And he takes her cordless phone. As he's turning around and walking away from her, he, did, he dials 911. And then he tells the story, yes, I have information about a missing person. Please come to my house. We'll have to talk about this. And he hangs up. And he's like, before they get here, I'm going to take a shower. And so he goes and he gets in the shower. Claire finds the phone again that he had carried with him upstairs and hits redial. And what does it say? 411. 411. Turned out he faked that conversation to 911. But as soon as she realizes that, he's behind her with a rag (laughs) and gasses her. Yes. With the same stuff that he's been experimenting on in his lab at the school. So we know that she's going to get paralyzed. Can it be used on all mammals? Oh, yeah. Any kind of procedure where you want to get the patient immobile, pain-free. She tries to get away. She stumbles. And ultimately, when she gets to the bottom of the stairs, she falls flat on her face and she cannot move. There's this really, really cool shot here where he climbs over the top of her and he like whispers into her ear and he tells the story about how I I didn't want for any of this to happen, yada, yada, yada. But what the camera does is it starts above her and then it pans down and passes through the floor and then looks up at her from underneath. It's a really cool camera trick. Apparently how they did that is whenever it was nighttime, They were filming on a studio, but there was a real house that doesn't exist anymore, but there was a real house that they filmed at during the day. And at nighttime, they would be at the studio and this part of the floor came away like you could break it away and they replaced it with glass uh, or at least part of it. So they could swing the camera, pass through the part of the floor that wasn't there and then look up from underneath as her face is pressed against this glass impersonating the floor. And it's this really cool moment. And then they just replaced it digitally. In the year 2000, it's actually a really believable effect. I thought that that was really cool. We see it again later in a, in a really quick moment. But uh, yeah, it happens more than once. And so he drags her away. Where does he drag her? To the bathroom. When did she start wearing the necklace? After he got in the shower, supposedly, I think she put it on because she didn't trust him and she was suspicious of him. And there was something about it that either compelled her to or made her decide to channel Madison again. I just definitely To find out the truth. I I certainly wrote... When did she start wearing the necklace and why? <laughs> I think it was because she she wasn't satisfied and because this is something of Madison's, which again is how you channel this person, this ghost, that was compelling her to do so. And as he carries her up to the bathroom, he says, I begged you, Claire, I pleaded with you, but you just wouldn't let it go. 
She gave me no choice. She was going to go to the dean. Did she think I was just going to stand there and watch it happen? Which is an interesting question. Why would you tell? I guess because she wanted him to herself. She came to him and she said, either you be with me or this yeah, will happen. Uh, she, she gave him an ultimatum. I don't know. Ultimatums suck for a lot of reasons. But but one of those reasons is because like. If, if you want to threaten somebody with an ultimatum, you have to think that that thing you're threatening them with is a very big deal. And if you're threatening them with something that is a very big deal to them, wouldn't you think they'd react very negatively to that? Yeah, I've always thought about that. I've always been concerned about that. But I guess it depends on, do you know your audience? Uh-huh. And she didn't. Obviously not. So this is the big twist of the movie. He's not the ghost. He hasn't been trying to scare her into thinking there's a ghost. But he is the ultimate villain of the story. The ghost is not. Yes, it has become very clear at this point in the film that he murdered her. Yes. And so he is, yeah, a bad guy, a murderer. And I really enjoyed this performance because... Very rarely do we see somebody who's always a good guy get to play a bad guy or a villain. And even when they do, you usually like lots of things about them anyway. Right? Like a likable villain. But not here. There's nothing about Harrison Ford to like at this point. And I appreciate that. And I thought he did a good job with it. There really isn't another movie where Harrison Ford plays an actual villain. People talk about the conversation that Harrison Ford was in, and he's kind of like this supporting character. He's not really like the villain. I've never seen it. But yeah, he's before this, he's never really been. It's, it's just interesting. I mean, there are so many actors that I think need to be challenged with playing a villain. That's why I was very disappointed in Tom Hanks and The Circle. <laughs> I didn't see it. Heard it was awful. I heard it was awful. And it's like, man, you wasted your villain role? <laughs> Agreed. But so he drops her into the tub. It looks so painful. Like her neck yeah. like hurt. That my neck hurts just thinking about it. Yeah, so the reason he 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 picks her up is because he sees that she's wearing the necklace. And he's like, Where'd you get this? He picks her up to look behind her neck to unclasp the necklace, and then she falls back. And it's the rotting, desiccated corpse of Madison. And he freaks out. He stands up, he slips, and then he nails the side of his head on the side of the, the countertop. And blood everywhere. <laughs> and he is totally messed up. And meanwhile, all she can do is just lay paralyzed in this tub while the water's running. Yes, and then there's this weird moment where he, it's, it's you know, oh, they get that last try, right? He, like, wakes up and tries to strangle her and then passes out again. This is not the end of the film. No. This is not his last gasp for breath. So why did they include that? There needed to be more tension in the moment, would be my guess. Whatever. Apparently he decides to crawl away without her being able to see him yeah and we don't know why he decides to do that she doesn't find that out until she rescues herself we can get right to that point <laughs> she manages to as her limbs are starting to get life back into them pull the the plug and drain the water just in time she manages to 
uh, get the water running slower and then pull the plug. So it's not like filling and it up as it's draining. And the chain breaks and yeah, lots um, of tension to be had. Exactly. But when she gets out and she flops out and breaks the the shower curtain, a la Psycho. Yes. And. Very much so. Yeah. And I'd that's when like she notices that he's not there. That this is the fastest draining tub ever. <laughs> Maybe it is. Maybe it's designed to drain quickly. It does fill up quickly. Yeah, it does. I would love to have a bathtub that fills up that quickly <laughs> and drains that quickly. But now she doesn't know where she is, and she's only sort of getting the life in her limbs back and able to move around. When she gets to the stairs, she sees him down at the bottom of the stairs. He's collapsed. Supposedly dead. He tried to get away. He tried to do something and it didn't work. He finally succumbed to the injury. Also, she has grabbed a, bro- a shard of the broken mirror. Oh, yes, that's right. The mirror that broke when he fell. She's now leaning over him in one of those tense moments to grab the phone, to grab the phone out of his pocket that he would put in his pocket when he first dosed her when she found that he only called 411. And she's having a hard time about it. And he moves and she gets really startled and she knocks over their key bowl that's on the counter right there in the entryway. This is the second time that we see this. We see the keys from underneath the floor as she reaches down and picks them up. She's like, ah, keys, I got to get out of here. And so she she goes to leave. She grabs his cell phone, which they mentioned before, gets no reception out where they are. It doesn't get any reception until they're halfway across the bridge. And she gets into the car that they have outside, his car, and realizes, holy shit, these keys don't go to this car. And there's another really cool camera moment here. I should point out that the director of photography is Don Burgess. So he does some really cool things with the camera here. We see that she looks in the side view mirror, the driver's side side view mirror, and the camera stays attached to the door. So it sees the side view mirror as well. And what we can see she's looking at is the truck that has the boat behind it. And she's like, oh, shit, these are the keys to the truck. And so then the door opens and the camera swings with the door and she goes, it runs to the truck. And what we see now in that side view mirror is the window of the house and Harrison Ford is getting up and then she closes the door behind her and it slams back into place to look at the truck. And now we see her running to the truck and it's just this really cool, smooth camera shot that was very effective and really stylish. So props to Don Burgess on that. Has he done cinematography for anything else big? He does a lot of things for Zemeckis like he did Castaway. He did Forrest Gump, Contact. He did The Conjuring (laughs) 2. There's a wide swath of things that he's worked on. Some good, some not so good. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah, right after he did Forrest Gump, he did Richie Rich. Right after he did Spider-Man from 2002, he did Terminator 3. So, yeah. Something's okay, something's not okay. Recently, he did... Aquaman, and he's doing The Witches. Mm-hmm. Pause for Kelsey to get upset. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she has to take the truck that's hauling a boat. And as she's leaving, we see that the rocking chair is rocking. So somebody flew by in a hurry. Yes. And as she's driving away, in comes Harrison Ford through the back 
of the truck because he had climbed onto the boat and crawled his way up. And now he's like strangling her and attacking her as she's trying to drive and they're across the bridge and all she wants to do is get to a place where there's reception so so she can call 911. And she manages to. I'm so on the bridge. I need the, help. Yeah, she gets to the middle of the bridge and stops, which I don't get, but But she sure. ends up continuing to drive anyway. And she's swerving and they end up driving off the side of the bridge. Yes. And then down the the ramp where you would the, the boat loading ramp, uh, into the lake, just another part of the lake, right on top of, right above where Harrison Ford put Madison's car. How convenient. Very convenient. Yes. So I, I put her in her car and I, I drove to the boat ramp and I rolled it out into the lake. And she's trying to get out. Oh, this part is so maddening. Where like, I, I can't the express water is how rising. angry I am sitting here during this scene. Like, the, come on. The water is rising and her immediate response is, I mean, you got to think about this. She's gone from harrowing moment directly to another harrowing moment. And when you think about getting out of a vehicle, you think about the door. You don't think about the fact that in order for Harrison Ford to get behind me, he smashed out the window behind me. Those are too many things to put together in this moment. You'd have to follow that train of logic. Oh, yeah. Did I leave the oven on? Like, no, you're not thinking about that stuff. But the real problem, even when she does think about that, is that Harrison Ford wakes up and grabs her. His problem is that his foot is caught and he's not getting out. So he's going to take her with him to preserve his legacy. So she can't get free. He knows he's going to die, but at the very least he can prevent her from ruining his legacy. I'd like to point out here that the reason that they crashed that Chris still thinks could not be true is because a ghost popped up in the middle of the road and she swerved. Yeah, it couldn't also have anything to do with the fact that the driver is being assaulted at that moment. No, 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 no. That couldn't be the reason for the accident. The My point is, is that everything that happens here could have happened without the aid of ghosts. But it didn't. <laughs> and the movie showed us that it didn't. The movie shows us a lot of things. Cameras show us a lot of things that aren't necessarily true. If we can't trust anyone in the film. The camera, the camera is 100%. It belongs to Claire. And it sees what she sees and it knows only what she knows. I, that's just the fact of them. Everything about this camera is is having to do with her perspective with little peaks at other things that happen. But predominantly, it is her camera. So when she thinks there are ghosts, the camera thinks there are ghosts. And what ends up happening here is that their crash disturbed the car underneath them. And up comes floating the corpse of Madison. And when it gets up to them, supposedly... It reanimates as a ghost and grabs Harrison Ford, having him freak out and let her go, let Claire go. And Claire is able to swim away. Couldn't have anything to do with the fact that the man just saw the dead body of the woman he killed and is suddenly preoccupied by that. (laughs) The movie. The movie has a perspective and the camera has an agenda. I think we're going to need to do a poll. 
I don't think we're going to get a lot of responses. <laughs> I'd like to know how many people believe that she is a real ghost. I think it's more not. compelling to think about the fact of how what happened looms large over this family as if they're being haunted by it. And it manifests itself in this movie in the form of go- of a ghost. But that's just a metaphor. Guys, if we ever do have a haunted house, it's going to be the end of our marriage. <laughs> I'm going to be so excited and Chris is going to shatter. I'm not going to say. All if, if, my- we have a, if we have a haunted house, I'm not going to say. Maybe it's just a metaphor. <laughs> Anyway, she's able to escape, and Harrison Ford dies, and that's the end of the movie. With extremely psycho music, like ripped out of psycho. Silvestri. Also, the movie felt it necessary to, after the corpse has become reanimated and grabbed onto Harrison Ford, the movie then decides that we need to see her turn back into a lifeless corpse and then into a beautiful angel. Yeah, but see, that's what implies, <laughs> it, it makes me think, was she ever actually reanimated? <laughs> there are little things like that. And... When she becomes this other woman, when there's this thing like, okay, is it Madison or is it Claire? And the fact that he is haunted by her when he sees Claire, it's because they look a lot alike. Not because she happens to be possessed and her face literally changes. But when he sees he's about to kill his wife, who looks a lot like the lover that he previously killed, that fucks with him. I'm just saying... It could be a metaphor, and I think it's more compelling as a metaphor than literally ghosts. That's like saying, eh, it was magic. And I'm fine with that, but it's less compelling. I think it would make a better story and a better movie if the if the haunting wasn't real. This is just the way that her memories reveal themselves back to her, and it's the way that Harrison Ford's guilt manifests itself. I think that's compelling stuff. Maybe that's why I hold this movie in a higher regard than other people do. Anything else to say? A couple of things. Okay. There are a couple of lines that are pretty good. I love when they're sitting down to do the Ouija board and Michelle Pfeiffer says, we wish to commune, which makes her friend laugh. Uh Uh-huh. I like when Harrison Ford is being seduced by his wife who is currently being possessed, Mm -hmm. which, so you don't think the possession is real? No, I think she behaved in such a way, like, remember, she knew, this is not new information that she's getting. She already knew that he had an affair. She literally saw this happen before, and she's just acting it out. out. Right, but this is how it's surfacing in her brain. This is all information she already had. I like when he's being seduced, he says, I guess this means you're not mad at me anymore, and she goes, I wouldn't go that far. Yeah. 
That's really cute. It's really good, cute. Good for her. <laughs> An odd thing. Did you notice the name of their boat? Good jeans? Good jeans. As in G-E-N-E-S? Oh, I guess because he's a scientist. Yes. Not because they're white. No, no. But I, I, I do think I do think <laughs> it has to people. do with him living in the shadow of his father and trying uh. to make a legacy of his own and not just living out his father's legacy. So I do think that there is some carryover there. But yes, he is a genetic scientist. <laughs> So upon seeing it now, I haven't seen this in a while, but I've seen it a lot, but, but it's been a while, and I've always really liked this movie. Seeing it now that I've seen so many horror films, I totally recognize that there is talent here and it's well done. It just feels a little bit too quickly put together. Well, and you hear the story about how it was made and it was put together quickly. Yeah. And it just doesn't seem like they sat down and were like, maybe we should clean this up. Exactly. I think cleaning it up is is what it needed. They needed to make things a little bit more neat, a little less messy. I like the idea that the story already exists and it just needs to be re-revealed to the characters and revealed to us. But in the process of making us think that there's something else going on, the Miranda Otto subplot... It, it really muddies the water. And when we don't know very specifically, we don't have an aha moment of this is what really happened and this is why Miranda Otto is okay and all of this other stuff, it, it, it does muddy the waters a little bit and it makes it harder to follow. Not that it's hard to follow in general, but then when you start asking specific questions, there are things you don't know the answer to, there are things that you forget that your brain doesn't hold on to very well because they weren't established very cleanly. I think that's a problem with, I would assume, the writing and the editing. I imagine they took a lot of stuff out in the edit as well. And we're like, okay, how do we clean this up? How do we shorten this up? And they didn't have a lot of time. They couldn't do very many pickups. So that's where some of the messiness is. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot to like about this movie that for some reason people just don't. <laughs> I don't understand it. So you really liked it. I did, yeah. Okay, good. I had seen it before, and I really liked it when I first saw it. I didn't like it as much as I think the first time I saw it, like you. But no, I, I think this is a pretty good movie. I, I just think Michelle Pfeiffer does a great job. She really does. She, she, her character is supposed to carry this movie, and I think she does a great job of doing that. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, Kelsey, what do you think this movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? Well, you've told me that they didn't like it, so I'm guessing it's low. Um, I don't spend a lot of time looking at that stuff before. I just copy it over to my notes. I don't read the consensus statements ahead of time. I just literally copy and paste, and I'm reading it live in the moment. I would guess that this probably has like a 78. 46. Wow. Yeah, you think. Listen to this consensus statement. Robert Zemeckis is unable to salvage an uncompelling and unoriginal film. 51% Metacritic. A cinema score of a B plus. Yeah, because when you walked out, you're like, that was really effing good. That was fun. Yeah, I don't know how we get a 46%. More people disliking it. Like, I understand you having reservations. We have reservations too. But more than half of the reviewers that watched this movie walked out of their review and said, did not like. 
So I should have listened to myself when I first said, Chris said people didn't like it go really low. And then you were like, well, I didn't look at it. I'm like, okay, well, maybe it is I mean, that's not why I said that. I knew that Roger Ebert didn't give it a very good review. Why? What did he say? He gave it two stars and he runs on a four-star system. The, The first sentence is, what lies beneath opens with an hour or so of standard thriller scare tactics done effectively and then plops into a morass of absurdity. Lacking a smarter screenplay, it milks the genuine skills of its actors and director for more than it deserves and then runs off the rails in an ending more laughable than scary. Along the way, yes, there are some good moments. (laughs) Two stars. What would you give it? Would you say 46 is overrated or underrated? Way underrated. Obviously. What would you give it? I'll give it a 76. I was going to give it a 75. Yeah. You know, in that good range just a solidly good movie mm-hmm. not great but not okay mm-hmm. yeah so i think that's a that's a pretty good score. i think it has a lot of really good things going for it unfortunately it just it shows that this was not somebody's like at the top of somebody's list their priority list mm-hmm. yeah uh-huh i think you're right which is a bummer because like i said michelle pfeiffer does really well in it Agreed. But she's practically perfect in every way. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Kelsey, before we get to our next movie, horror trivia. Teenage Charlie Brewster thinks his new next-door neighbor is a vampire in this 1985 film that was later remade in 2011. Fright Night. Fright Night. All right, Kelsey. In our next movie, Insidious... The quote-unquote lipstick-faced demon is played by a man by the name of Joseph Bashara. Joseph Bashara is also a member of the crew that made this movie. What role did he have? Did he do makeup? No, that would have been good, though. (laughs) That happens a lot, actually. Where the makeup guys, the effects guys, are actually involved and they play like monsters or zombies, especially. Uh, No, he's the composer. Really? Yeah, Mm mm-hmm. How funny. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Just as a little side note, he also did music for Repo, the genetic opera. Like he wrote the songs? He did music production. I don't think, I think the script writer was also the book writer of that movie. I think I, that's total guess on my part. (laughs) We'll cover the movie eventually. (laughs) Don't worry. He also did the score for Night of the Demons. Which I I think we might have talked about when we talked about Night of the Demons. So, there you go. Joseph Bashara, the lipstick-faced demon and composer. (laughs) In our next movie, 2010's Insidious, (laughs) written by Lee Whannell, directed by James Wan, starring Patrick Wilson, Rose Byrne, Ty Simpkins, Lynn Shea, Lee Whannell, Angus Sampson, and Barbara Hershey. I say the name Ty Simpkins, he's Dalton. You recognize this kid absolutely because he's both the kid from Jurassic World and the kid from Iron Man 3. If you saw Endgame and you were wondering who the fuck that teenager was on the side of the lake, that was Ty Simpkins because he played that kid in Iron Man 3. Lee Winnell obviously is also Specs in this movie. He wrote 
I think the first three Saw movies. I don't, I don't, I just don't know if he wrote the ones after that. He's also. He wrote them? Yes. I thought he was just an actor. No, no, no. He wrote Saw. James Wan directed it. And then and he then put he, himself in the movie. He played the guy <laughs> who is in the room with Carrie Ellis. Yes. Dread Pirate Robert. Yes. He also wrote Dead Silence, with J- which James Wan directed, which Everybody we still haven't seen. really good. Yeah. But again, we mentioned this last ending. time. We already know the ending, and that kind of fucking sucks for us. But we'll watch it eventually. We will. We promise. Uh, generally, I like James Wan. When he's done other things, I've enjoyed them. I just do not like the Saw franchise. At all. People do seriously stupid stuff all the time in them. And... That that premise has been wrung dry so hard. So hard! I think the same thing happens with this franchise. And it should have just been the two movies and they should have stopped. But they kept making them. <laughs> <laughs> same thing with all those Conjuring movies. James Wan does a really good job when he comes in and he starts things. <laughs> and then somebody else takes over and they just run it into the ground. Anyway, what is Insidious about? Family moves into a new house mm-hmm. where they experience some scary shit, and then their son goes into a coma, and the mom continues to experience scary shit, and they try to move away, but they find out that it's not the house that's haunted, it's them. The movie is $4 to rent and $13 to buy on most services, but it is available if you have a Netflix subscription. We happen to already own it digitally, and that's how we watched it. Should people watch Insidious? Yes. Yeah. I mean, okay. Is it the best movie in the world? No. There are some cliches here, and there some. are some silly moments. But I think if you if you have not seen this movie, and you sit down, and you have all the lights off, and it's at night... You're ready for a scary movie. This can genuinely be very creepy and scary. I think this movie did a lot to change ghost, like haunting horror films for the next 10 years for better and for worse. I think this was just as influential as, say, Paranormal Activity or Blair Witch. Fascinating. I'd love to hear why. There are a lot of movies that tried to be, I mean, even The Conjuring was, we were really excited be, because of how much we we liked it the first time we saw it, you know, having seen Insidious. And we're like, oh, it's another good movie just like Insidious, you know? And there's a lot of elements that are very similar across these films. I'd the like way, to hear what you the think. The way James Wan does jump scares, the way he handles music and silence, the way he surprises you just in general, I think... People tried to make a lot of movies mimicking what he did, and some are better than others. I don't know. All I can think about is he might rely on a couple things that's once you've seen a, all of his movies, like we have, you start to notice patterns. But I'm sorry, it works every time. And I think where that becomes extremely clear are in movies like Annabelle. Yeah. Where the entire film, you're just sitting there and you're just like, I'm not afraid of a sewing machine. (laughs) And then you finally get this scene and you're like, oh, thank God. I'm in a scary room. It's dark. 
there's something in the shadows. There's mm-hmm. a reason I'm scared. It is in the way of me exiting this room. Like, there, like, yes, maybe that seems obvious, but then you put it in comparison to the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the film did not know a thing about scaring its audience. I think this movie also put Blumhouse on the map. Yeah. And in a really big way. And in the same way, I think that they have done really great things and really not so great things trying to replicate the success they had with this movie. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. It's like, oh, man, horror movies are good again, you know, in the 2010s. But they're also being made so much now that they're also crap, too. And so. But that's always been horror. There's always been the shitty horror. Yeah, but it had a. It, it, I, I honestly think that movies like Insidious and The Conjuring marked a change in horror. It created a different era of horror. Whereas the early 2000s were generally extreme horror and. I was going to say more cheap, and, cheap teen horror. And found footage. Because yes. of like Blair Witch and that and footage, yeah, like and torture porn. There's a lot this, of that, but I think Insidious marked a turn in the horror industry. But here's the thing: fact of the matter is, spirit battles suck, and they always will. It's so funny you say that. My favorite, my favorite genre is haunted haunted houses. My favorite haunted genre. houses aren't my problem. My problem is we get a full on spirit energy battle. It's like what is this fucking Dragon Ball Z? You. Defend. I'm stronger because I believe in it now. You defend the legend of Hell House. Even I don't defend that. And you're sitting here and you're talking about how shitty spiritual battles are? I think it looks cool because uh, it's not spiritual. It's... <laughs> it's a spirit. No, he mocks the man until he breaks him. And he's pushing against wind. That's different than, I'm going to hadouken you with my mind. Anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves. I just love that you love that. I'm so glad that I showed it it's to you. It's fun. <laughs> this is not fun. I cringe every time I see it. But ultimately, I love the movie. You should absolutely watch Insidious. And if you haven't seen it, I'm worried that you might think it's derivative of things that have come after it. Or you might be tired of that stuff by now. You have to put your head in the context of where we were in 2010 and what the horror industry was like. Yeah, exactly. And so now we can watch it and now we can be like, oh. Yeah. (laughs) But exactly. We're more excited for the good stuff. When we talk about the fact that this movie blew us away, yes, it still had all those shitty things about it, but Chris is absolutely right, and I hadn't even thought about it this way. We had just sat through 10 years of shitty teen horror, torture porn, and found footage, none of which, okay, I do like shitty teen horror, but other than that, <laughs> like, it's it was not a good time for me in horror. Mm-hmm. So that's why we were blown away is because, yeah, at the time, this felt really different. It doesn't now, 10 years mm-hmm. later. But it, it created did then. new tropes, I think, or revitalized o- old tropes in a new way. Mm-hmm. I think it needs to get credit for that. And I think if you haven't seen it, you absolutely should. I can watch this whenever. I don't know how many times I've seen this movie. 
I feel like I've seen it at least six times by now. I've seen it a lot. Yeah. I've only seen the second one a couple times, though. Right. Which I is like the remarkable considering how like closely linked they are and what an incredible job that two does of making it seem like things they set up in the first movie were always intended to pay off in the second movie in this way. Yes. Even though I think we all know that it wasn't. They did it really well. They did a really good job of that with the second one. Yeah, like the second one also shocked us because we were expecting it to be so bad, which is why the third one was such a disappointment. And there are more reasons that that happened too. Then we were like, oh, well, the second one was great. Third one's going to be great too. No. No, no. (laughs) Anyway, you can take our advice or leave it, but when we get back, we will talk about 2010's Insidious. The perfect home. The perfect family. Perfect life. Good night, sweetie. A phenomenon they can't explain. And an experience they can't escape. I went into Dalton's room. There's something in there with him. I want to leave this house. It's not the house that's haunted. It's your son. Insidious. In theaters April 1st. All right, Kelsey, let's uh, let's walk through it. Can you get us started on Insidious? Yes, so we get the the long credits intro with the with the Insidious music. Oh, the the discordant piano strings being like banged on and the the scraping violins which feels very insidious like. I know it's not the first time this has ever been done. <laughs> But that's what it feels like to me. There are people out there that are like, did you know that 33 different violins were used to record? Th-? No, absolutely not. <laughs> if you ask Joseph Bashara, he has given interviews about this sort of thing. If you ask him, it was five instruments. Almost all of the soundtrack was five instruments. Two violins, a viola, a cello, and a piano. And that is it. And a lot of it was improvised. Because they got to have all these weird sort of these discordant sounds that sound unnatural, that sound unnerving and, you know, not too well structured. I remember, though, when the title appears, the whole audience jumped like that just. Sound jump scare. And I know we hate those, but it's it's just really effective. It, it For whatever reason, it just feels like this is that done right. And during this credit sequence, it's like we're seeing pictures of their home. And we see, like, creepy shadows, things move in certain pictures. We see the woman in black who will become the major villain for the series. It's interesting because you find out later that at least some of these pictures that we see here aren't of... Like Dalton and his family, it's Josh's room when he's younger. Interesting, because because it looks like the house that they live in. Yeah, but you know, you see that that globe light hanging from the ceiling in one of them, and when we flash back to Josh when he was younger, we see that same one, and it does this sort of like one eighty flip upside down view of that lamp, and it's oh, interesting. It's the flashback. So we finally get to the movie, and we see Rose Byrne wearing these awful monkey pajamas. Kelsey I, hates these pajamas, and I, hate I don't them know why. So much. 
I, I, I hated them the moment I saw them in the movie theater. I was like, why costumers? Because, why? Because she got matching pajamas with her son. And it's adorable. It's really not. I would not do that. <laughs> <laughs> Another beautiful house. How they afford this, we do not know. We never find out. Because he is a high school English teacher, and she does not work. Yep. And they just have this gorgeous property. And they I don't think they ever actually say where they are, but it certainly looks like Pasadena. California. Yeah. Yeah. We got palm trees, and the architecture feels like Southern California. Yeah. We find out a lot quicker this time that we have a musician wife. Yes. Who's a stay-at-home mother. Um, uh, but she does the piano, not the cello. Son comes downstairs wearing the matching pajamas and tells his mother that he does not like his room. But she, of course, just assumes that that's because they're in a new house and it's scary. She is looking at pictures because everything is in boxes and she just pulled out an old photo album and they are looking at pictures. And she's showing him pictures of herself and she asks him, because he says, wow, you must be super old. And she asks him, how old do you think I am? And he says, you've got to be at least 21. Now, this might seem like a silly joke, but it's a real thing. Oh, yeah. My students, oftentimes when I first meet them, are shocked when they find out that I'm in my 30s. They're like, you're ancient. You're so old. Like, looking at you, we thought you were 18. And it's just like... I do not understand yeah. <laughs> how you view age. I really don't. <laughs> yeah, totally. Would you like to know where their original house was? Sure. It's a real house? Oh, they're all real houses, yeah. There's the- uh, No, they're not, because in What Lies Beneath, they did those shots on a studio. Two things. First of all, they did the night shots on the studio. The day shots were at a real house. They just recreated it in the studio so they could get those fun shots and they can film all hours. I wasn't talking about what lies beneath. I was talking about Insidious. I know, but when you say they're all done, it sounds like you're talking about just all movies in general. (laughs) No, both of them are filmed in Los Angeles and not really that far from each other. Yeah, they're only like a couple miles from each other. Actually, well, yeah, living in Los Angeles on an English teacher's budget, owning a home, she must have some money. Yes. Or they just didn't think about it. Yeah. (laughs) Like it's a 90s sitcom (laughs) and a woman working at a plastic utensil factory has a two story home. Yes. Yeah. He asks to see pictures of his dad as a kid. And she says, well, there aren't a lot of pictures of your dad. As a kid, I'm not sure why. He wants to look at old pictures of himself as a kid, and she's like, you are a kid. It's Kids cute. are weird. <laughs> but then her youngest, her baby, starts to cry. So we then cut to her desperately trying to, t- to talk to somebody on the phone. Her kids are going crazy. She's got one that's on the floor. She's got a baby crying. Everything is in boxes. They haven't gone to the store. They don't have anything out. It's all a bunch of craziness and chaos. And down walks the husband, who's just 
whistling, getting ready for work. Uh, and she's just like, are you going to take the kids to school? He's like, I can't. Are you going to pick the kids up after school? I can't. And it's just like, thanks, honey. <laughs> so thanks for being there for me. Do you want to hear a secret about call center IVRs? Yes. So when you're talking to this voice, you could, you know, they're the kinds where you press numbers, they're kinds where you say words. And when they're numbers, you press zero. <laughs> well. And when they are words, you say representative. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really depends. Not all of them are built the same. That's not my point. My point is, is that. At many organizations and many prominent organizations, there are people whose job it is to listen to what you're saying to the robot. Absolutely. So when you're losing your goddamn mind and screaming at this thing, there are people who hear that. They listen to it after the fact to find out what is working and what isn't working. Oh, but there are people who have recordings of you calling a machine a motherfucker and like screaming at it. And no, they're, they're pe- they just have to listen to it. And some of them are like, this is really fucking depressing. <laughs> so just FYI, just because you're talking to a recording doesn't mean that it's not recording you. I don't care. They need to know that that is a stupid system. Yeah. What a lot of times what that means is. Is that they are, I can't believe we're taking this tangent here, but it is more efficient for them to bother you than hire more people to direct your calls. I understand that. That's why it works that way. Mm -hmm. Capitalism. Mm -hmm. During all of this chaos, she's, you know, pacing because it's frustrating. And she sees that the books that she just put away this morning are now out on the floor. And she talks to her son, and she's just like, honey, if you're gonna look at my books, that's fine. Could you not leave them on the floor? And it's like, why would he have picked up the whole stack and just thrown them on the floor? What you said not three seconds ago. Kids are weird. (laughs) I know, I know. But it is an odd thing. But that's just what she goes to because it's the easiest thing to go Uh to in this situation. He's like, I didn't touch the books. So finally, the kids are at school. Everything is in its place. The the dad's at work, so she can finally sit down and work on her music, because that's clearly why she's not working, so she can have time to work on her music. But almost as soon as she gets started, her baby starts crying upstairs, which I immediately was like, well, why keep her upstairs? And Chris was like, well... She's playing the piano. If the idea is to let her sleep. Uh Uh-huh. And I have no idea how much babies sleep, so that's It depends on how thing. old they are, but depending on the age, a lot. <laughs> and the worst times, too. But so she goes up to, to calm her, and then she starts to hear noises. And she's like, is there somebody in the house? She sees that the door is moving all on its own. Whatever, what's there to do about it? It's just a door moving in some creaks. It could just be an old house. Yeah. Right? So she ignores it. That night, her husband comes home. Her kids are home. But one of her sons, Dalton, is upstairs playing by himself. She mentions to her husband that she cannot find her sheet music. It's nowhere to be found. Her son goes upstairs into the attic, which we earlier saw has a ladder and has a broken 
rung on it. Which you'd think, you got little kids running around, you'd think you'd get rid of the ladder with the broken rung. But she doesn't. (laughs) Yeah, Dalton goes up into the attic originally because he's sitting at the top of the stairs, playing with some toys that his dad brought home, and like a shark and a sword, like he's fighting back the shark with a sword or something. And then the door to the attic just opens on its own. We've been up there previously. Rose Byrne is the one who broke the rung on the ladder, just, you know, exploring around in the attic. Well, to turn on the light. Yes, she has to reach up to turn on the light. But clearly, that's a piece of shit ladder. You probably shouldn't keep Mm -hmm. it around if you got little kids running around. Things to think about. It is, but there are plenty of things you have to do in a fucking day, and you constantly weigh cost-benefit in your mind, and whether you realize you're doing it or not, and you're like, this is on a list of all the things I could possibly be doing on at any given moment, it's not the absolute highest priority. I don't know. When you got kids, you gotta start to think about these things. If your front lawn goes out onto an open highway... Put up a fence. If you're upstairs in your attic and your ladder breaks, get rid of the ladder. Anyway, this is all a pointless conversation to have because it it has literally nothing to do with what happens. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm just trying to be a good parent. Are you? Yes. Are you? Sounds like you're parent shaming. So... He goes up there, and yes, the problem is not the broken rung. Because yes, he does step on it, and yes, he does fall, but he's totally fine. Yes. The problem is what's inside the attic with him. And we never find out what happened here. We just hear him scream from downstairs with the rest of the family. We hear a scream from from the attic. And later, we will see what looks like... A bump or he got hit or uh-huh. like a, a bruise on his eye, which does not make sense. Because that's not where he got hit. He got hit on the back of the head. Uh-huh. Now, we don't know. We don't know if this was just a mistake uh-huh. <laughs> or if it's an implication that he was- He was harmed. Harmed by after he fell. what was in the attic with yeah. him. And he's not saying. He's just going to say he fell off the ladder. Which is understandable. You're, you're, he's not so young that he would just honestly mm-hmm. tell his parents what happened because they probably wouldn't believe him. And they'd tell him, hey, you know what? You don't go exploring in here. This is a new house. We don't know all the idiosyncrasies about it. And then that they'll, they'll lock the door to the attic. And everyone's like, okay, well, that was scary, but nothing really terrible happened. Yes. And while up there, she, Rose Byrne, will see her sheet music. Yep. That's weird. Who did that? Who brought her sheet music up to the attic? So, the next day, they are all getting ready to go to school and work again. And she's like, when her husband, as soon as her husband walks in, can you go wake up Dalton? He's got a big smile on his face and he just turns. Turns around, it's so great. It is great. I mean, that's, (laughs) I assume that's what it's going to be like, you know, when you got kids. It's just like, Uh you got to go do this. Okay. Uh (laughs) Just got downstairs, ready to have a good turning around. (laughs) (laughs) So he goes in to wake up his son, but his son does not wake up. And this would just be so terrifying. Oh my god, terrifying. Like, I have a problem when I see that my cat is perfectly still. I'm like, (laughs) are you breathing? Like, I watch for breaths. Like, I could not imagine. 
I mean, other people's babies freak me out in this way. I'm just terrified that at any given moment they're going to When babies go to sleep and they look like they're dead, it's it's a scary moment. It's terrifying. (laughs) So it takes him a while before he actually, like, puts his hand on his chest to see if it's rising and falling. Sure enough, it is. He is alive, but he is not waking up. So they take him to the doctor. And they run all these tests, and they're just like, we don't understand. There is no brain damage that we've detected. Technically, yes, he's in a coma. He doesn't react to stimuli. He has no sleep-wake cycle. But there's no brain trauma or infection. His scans are all normal. To be honest, I've never seen anything like it. There's no brain injury. Like, nothing Uh seems to have happened. So... He is telling them, like, we're going to do some more tests. And and they're like, well, how long do you think this is going to take? And then cut to three months later, they're bringing him home. Yeah. So, has not been good. No, it hasn't. And there's this nurse who is instructing Rose Byrne on how to install his breathing tube into his nose. So, this will start one of the movie's biggest flaws. We often talk in horror movies, especially zombie movies, for example. The turning process is different for everyone, right? Certain people, it's instant, as soon as they're bitten. Other people, takes a lot longer. Yeah, it's a, it's a plot convenience. A we saw the convenience. same thing in From, From Dusk, Dusk Till Dawn. Dawn. Yeah, uh-huh. We see the same thing in all kinds of movies. Yeah. Yes, plot conveniences. It's a good way to put it. And here's a plot convenience for this movie. The process of taking over a person's body Mm -hmm. is extremely convenient for the film. Well, but it's internally consistent. No, it's really not. It is. It's not because she, later Lin Shay, will show Uh up. Who's totally awesome in this movie, by the way. Yes. And she will explain... That it takes time and it takes energy. She never explains how much time or how much energy. She explains that because Dalton is an empty vessel at this point, all of these ghosts are being attracted to him because they want to take over his body. Mm -hmm. All of this is conveniently on their timeline for for as long as it takes him to find his son and get his son back. And right then, when they will almost be there, uh-oh, that's when everyone can almost get inside. Well, okay, we're spoiling a lot of the upcoming plot by having this conversation now, but that's why they, they don't do it when they do it because... That's just when they get around to talking about it. They do the out-of-body experience when they do it because they are running out of time. And these ghosts are getting closer. That's why that happens in that order. That's why they do it when they do it. It's because she's like, I thought we would have more time, but we're further along. Josh, you need to do this now. And good thing it waited all those months while they sat around and did nothing. It didn't wait all those months. It takes all those months. Again, conveniently. No, but I'm saying internally <laughs> consistent. It's a little convenient. But without this convenience, there is no movie. True. So Renee is learning about how to take care of her comatose son. 
So now this is one additional thing that she has to deal with. Her husband goes back to work and she's at home. She has to watch the baby. She has to take care of her son and she has to write music. That's the whole reason why she's not working right now. And so one day while she's writing music, she starts to hear something over the baby monitor. And it sounds like somebody's talking. And she turns it up. It's like whispering. Which is just bizarre to me. If you think you hear somebody talking, why wouldn't you go upstairs? Oh, well, it could be interference. And she could just be listening in on somebody else's conversation. True. Why wouldn't you go upstairs first just to check? But then she ends up hearing it starts to get louder. And then she hears it yell, I want it now. I want it now. There's a banging sound. And her baby starts to cry. And that's when she runs upstairs. She gets up there and uh, nothing's there. She doesn't know how to explain it. That night, she will be talking to her other son and her other son is pretty much being ignored and she feels bad about that. This Uh, is Foster. Yes, but what's important about this conversation is Foster will say, I don't like my room because I don't like seeing Dalton get up at night. Mm -hmm. Which is another problem for this film. Because if he's in a coma and we've seen him, he's got plenty of tubes going in and out of him. Mm -hmm. What are they doing? Ripping those out and then putting them back in perfectly in the morning? Uh But, of course, when she tells her husband about what happened, he tells her it was probably interference over the baby monitor. And she conveniently doesn't tell him, well, but no... There was actually somebody screaming inside our house. But again, that would probably make her sound crazy because there are people in this world who refuse to believe you when you say that you heard something. So what are you going to do? But then he gets some evidence through. That night they hear a loud banging on their front door. Josh, Patrick Wilson, goes downstairs to check it and no one's there. And he doesn't know what's going on. He opens the door. There's nothing there. He glances out the window. There's nothing there. He sets the alarm or he checks the alarm, one of the two. While he's downstairs looking at that stuff, Renee passes by their daughter's room. And she sees, and this time didn't hear, sees someone physically there behind the netting above the crib. And she freaks out and she yells down for Josh. And as he's running upstairs and checks to see and there's nobody there, all of a sudden the alarm to the front door is going off. And he runs downstairs and he can see that the door is wide open. The chain lock that they had on from the inside was unlocked. And this is why I say I would probably be thinking that there was somebody that physically broke into our house at this point. She saw somebody. And our door was opened from the inside quickly, and now nobody's here, as if somebody ran out the front door from inside. That's probably what I'd be thinking. How did he get from that room to downstairs so quickly and without passing by any of us? I don't know. But this is a new house. There's a lot I don't know about it. He does end up grabbing a weapon. He grabs a fire poker. Uh Uh-huh. So he ends up closing the door, and there just doesn't seem to be anybody in there, and the alarm goes off again. Uh Uh-huh. And it's just like... He doesn't know what to do, and I understand that he doesn't know what to do, but he needs to be more supportive to his wife than he is in this situation. Her husband has been spending a lot of time away 
from the house. He's been spending a lot of time at work. He he seems to pass out at work, which I think is the movie telling us that the ghosts are trying to keep him away from doing anything. Which is weird because he doesn't affect them until Lin Shay shows up. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way at all. I was thinking he just did not want to go home. They weren't presenting it that way. Every time they presented him at school, he seemed exhausted, which is understandable, but like to the point of like he couldn't move. Right, but he doesn't go home until because he would pass out. Because he fell asleep at his desk. Right. Because he he because he didn't want to go home, he made up an excuse about why he couldn't go home because he had to grade some tests and then he doesn't grade any tests. He just sits there at work. And of course, eventually he's going to fall asleep just sitting at his desk, not going home. I don't know. The way that they presented it made me think the ghosts were affecting him, but I didn't know why because we'll find he doesn't out, do anything to them until Lin Shay shows up. We'll find out later that he is repressing something from his past. How he deals with that something is by avoidance. One of the one of the things that he's suppressing involves taking pictures, so he just doesn't like having his picture taken, and everyone chalks that up to a weird personality quirk. I think this is the same sort of thing. His avoidance of conflict and issues like this is a result of his internal anxieties that he's not acknowledging about the fact that there might be a haunting here. So this one night where Josh Patrick Wilson is intentionally staying at work late, Renee is making Dalton's bed where she discovers a red handprint of unknown origin, we'll say. It is an unanswered question in the film exactly how that handprint is left there, but I think the implication is is that, yes, the this particular demon, as we'll later find out, is getting closer and closer to their reality and Dalton specifically. But Josh doesn't gonna come home until like 10.30 at night that night. Yes, and when he does get home, she's upset and he just thinks that she's upset because he thinks that she thinks that he's been avoiding her, which he has been. He has been. That is That is absolutely Josh's problem and it is his bad. He has been avoiding them. That's the way he deals with this conflict and it's pretty shitty. And he does a really shitty thing by bringing up Dalton's medical bills and how he has to right. pay for those. And it's like, at some point in the film, they kind of establish the idea that he told her, you go ahead and work on your music, I'll support us. And it's like, you don't get to put like right. spit that back in her face. 100%. But then on top of that, he knows that him staying late has nothing to do with that. Mm-hmm. And it helps it in no way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. So it's a really shitty thing. And then she does a really shitty thing back, which is she accuses him of not believing her. And then she just, in a huff, throws the sheet at him and says, deal with this or something to that effect and walks away. This has always bothered me the way she handles this because, like, granted, Josh is being a dickhead. But, like, she had proof of something in her hands, let this conversation get out of hand, and then get angry at him that he doesn't believe the proof that she has yet to show him. Well, because she full-on tells him, he, he asks her, do you think this house is haunted? She says, I don't think it, I know it. 
And he just kind of, he wants to find a solution, and that's not what she wants to hear right now. She wants to hear support. She wants to hear mm-hmm. him, well, why? What happened? But he doesn't. He just no. wants to find solutions for it. So that's when she throws it at him. But also, that was you done that way so that they didn't have to have that conversation yes. on the screen. Yes, because that conversation, like, what would they have filmed? <laughs> what would that conversation have been? You're exactly right. So he ends up sleeping on the couch that night, and she is upstairs sleeping with the baby inside her room, and she wakes up to a man pacing back and forth outside their window. It's like on a balcony patio kind of thing. And she, of course, gets scared, and then it pops inside of her house. The way they do that is so impressive. It's a really simple effect. Like, it didn't take a lot to actually pull it off. But what we see on the screen is is very effective for a scare because you're terrified that this guy is right outside her, her window and she's trying to call out to Josh without getting his attention. And then eventually she's too terrified and she has to call out loudly. And then all of a sudden he's just inside. And it's not like a magical teleportation thing that kind of takes you out of it. No, he comes from off screen. It's like he almost like he walked through the wall. Exactly. Yes. He's been pacing back and forth. And when he goes back, when he comes forth, it goes through the wall. Exactly. It's like. It's done seamlessly. You think there is something about the scenario where you're like, oh, my God, he's just on the other side of the wall. The only thing protecting me from this, who knows what it is is my wall, and then all of a sudden they take that away from you. And it's very effective for, like, scares-wise. And she freaks out, and he turns and looks at her, and it's just a dude in this long leather coat with long black hair. He has this white sort of sunken face that looks almost slightly decomposed. And, And then he comes after her, and he grabs her, and she screams for Josh, and the baby starts crying. Okay, so you specifically said grabs her. I remember him grabbing her, too. He grabs at her, you think? The problem is, when Patrick Wilson enters the room, she is just cowering against the wall, like down against the wall. Yeah, he he, he goes to her there. They kind of make their way across the bed. She pushes herself back, and he goes towards her. Then we cut down to Josh. He runs up the stairs. He comes in the room, and there's no one there. But the baby is screaming, And she is screaming, and she is obviously terrified. And true or not, she's terrified. And she's like, we have to get out of here. As she's sobbing, and he's like, okay, okay, we'll go. And so they do. They move. Yes. To a much smaller house, which we definitely recognize. Mm -hmm. It's like a ranch home. That would make sense. Probably lost some money on... uh, Having to sell a house so quickly after you bought it and all the closing costs and, you know, all that other stuff associated with buying a house. Yes. And it's all done very quickly, but, you know, whatever. That's probably one of the reasons for the downgrade. It's a beautiful house, but it's not the house they started with, which is, you know, much more beautiful. Yes. This is when the movie is going to ramp up with the scare factors. There's going to be a lot more scary things happening a lot faster now. So she moves into this new house. She's alone. She's unpacking. We do meet Barbara Hershey right before this, though, too, before she's alone. Just their first day moving in. They're all kind of together. And Barbara Hershey is there. And Rose Byrne is like, Oh, you must think I'm so silly. And she's like, hey, only you know what you're going through. Right, because everybody's just like, well, your son's in a coma, so you're allowed to go crazy. Basically, yeah. And 
You do what you need to do to take care of yourself and your family. What I can't believe is that we are doing this all over again. Ridiculous. But yes, the next day or later that day, she's home alone. And this is definitely one of, I remember sitting in the theater and I remember my heart just pounding so hard during this whole scene. Uh She walks by and it's really well done. And this would, this will become a thing that more and more movies do now. Yes. Where they put it, they put the ghost or whatever it is that you're supposed to be afraid of. They put it in the frame but they kind of meld it with the background. So if you don't know it's there and it moves, it's really scary. And if you do see it, it's really like, oh my God, what's it going to do? Right. We're going to see this early kind of turn of the century young boy in in like a page boy cap and high socks and all of that. His face turned towards the wall as she walks by, but it's like by a coat rack. So the fact that you see a hat and a coat you might not immediately register that. But it's one of those things where if you do, you're like, oh my God, did you see that? Did you see that? And especially if you're in the theater, you can't just rewind and take a look at it again. Mm-hmm. Um, so it adds some sort of excitement to it. But yes, she goes, she takes out the trash. She has some music playing on, on the record player. And when she goes outside, it skips and it changes to Tiny Tim's version of Tiptoe Through the Tulips. It was originally written in like the 20s or something like that, but Tiny Tim redid it in I think the 60, 65 or sometime around there. In a very creepy way. (laughs) And she goes outside and we can hear it, but she can't. She takes the trash out to the trash can and she walks back up. She looks through an open window and she sees this little boy dancing in front of the record player to Tiptoe Through the Tulips. Yes. And she just kind of assumes that it's just a neighborhood kid. At first. I would. I'd be like, what the fuck is a kid doing in my house? <laughs> Get out of my house. Shoo. <laughs> but when she goes inside. He's gone. He's gone. Juan knows how to create tension. And again, it yes. seems so simple, but we've just seen so many movies that don't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. That this is impressive. <laughs> so she is walking around and like she'll like a door will open or he'll run by and like she uh-huh. just can't. She, he laughs and she's like, what was that? She just can't like get to him. And she walks into another room and she sees that a horse, a, a toy horse, a rocking horse is rocking. Yeah. And I feel like James Wan loves to do rocking horses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's another movie that he did that had that. Was one of the Conjuring movies? Probably. Probably. But so it's moving and she's kind of scared and she sees these little shoes where like a closet is or something. Yeah, this is, uh, it's, you can't really tell what it is at first because you're not really thinking about what this piece of furniture is, but it's in Dalton's room and Dalton's there. Obviously, he's still in a coma and it has two doors up at the top where there are coats and other things hanging. And then there's a little curtain at the bottom where shoes go and it's been adjusted and there's maybe a little bit of a shoe poking out so she walks up to it grabs a hockey stick and slides open this curtain and then gets down and sees it's just a bunch of shoes it was exactly what she thought it was and then the top doors just pop open and this kid laughing comes running out and she screams and she's like i can't take it anymore (laughs) 
Yeah. So she is freaking out and she's trying to talk to her husband about it. So when Josh gets home, his mom, Barbara Hershey, Lorraine, is already there and she's been talking to her and she didn't know who else to oh, call. Wasn't she talking to a priest too? Yes, there was a priest that was there and he was just leaving. But it just happened to be an old friend of hers who happened to be a priest. Yes. Because you know, she just doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know who to talk to. Mm-hmm. And so she's just trying everything. At one point, Josh asked her, like, when was the last time you even went to church? Yeah, so Josh is kind of being a dick, and it takes Barbara Hershey to step in and be like, your wife's not crazy. Yeah. And he's like, what? And she sits them down, and she's going to tell them about this dream that she had. (laughs) Let me tell you about this dream I had. (laughs) (laughs) It's very Freddy. It's very, very Freddy here. Yeah, Uh, she's walking through their house, At night, she walks into Dalton's room, and she sees this shadow standing in the corner. And he's got, like, a hat on, which doesn't make sense, because he doesn't wear a hat later. I don't think he has a hat. I think it's just his hair. It looks like he's got, like, a brim. I think that's just his... He has this weird sort of hair. He's balding. And he has like the, the this black hair that comes out across sides. Well, it like kind, a kind of, of looks like a it looks like a hat. It so gives you the wrong impression if you don't know what you're like seeing. Freddy. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Especially since he's got the long the long nails. Yeah. So she talks to it and then asks what it wants, and then it reaches up and it points to Dalton. And there's this really cool effect of like a sort of groaning and a cracking at the same time to to reflect the sound that this demon makes when it moves. Yes. It's a really cool effect. Yes. And as they're having this conversation, Patrick Wilson is sitting slightly towards the right of the frame, and behind him is this giant black portrait. Yeah. Picture of blackness. So it's all very perfectly set up. Oh, yeah. Uh And especially when you know it's coming, like, it's very obvious that this is staged this way. But I do remember the first time we saw it, Oh, I didn't know it was coming Nobody at all. Nobody knew it was coming. Yeah. And this is the thing. A lot of the stuff, it's been 10 years now, and a lot of the stuff this movie does is super predictable now. But, like, at the time, nobody was doing it, and then everyone was doing it. Yes. And that just became horror movies for a long time. I mean, Hereditary uses the whole putting it in frame yeah. right there so you can see it, uh-huh. but slightly melding it with the background. Yep. And I think people kind of thought that was incredible. And it's like, James Wan did that 10 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so it's what we're talking about being set up is that while she's talking and she's looking away, while she's talking, she's looking away, and then she looks back up at Josh and we see the same exact shot, only now the lipstick face demon is there, and it opens its mouth wide, and she panics and screams. Okay, but I will say this, even the first time I saw it, I was like, Phantom Menace? It's Darth Maul. Why? Yes, it very much looks like Darth Maul. <laughs> like, I, you could have picked anything. Why didn't you think this looks like Darth Maul? Do you not know what Darth Maul looks like? Come on. This is going to sound so stupid, but um, Darth Maul is actually predominantly red with black accents. Like, if you see him topless, he has red skin. <laughs> this demon is all black, and it just has a red face. But yes, everyone was talking about how it's the Darth Maul demon, or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Its actual name in the credits is Lipstick-Faced Demon. But he does not see it. So they scream, and he's just like, what's, what? What? Uh-huh. And and see, okay, 
the fact that they both like knew about this without each other tells me that it can't be a shared delusion. But this is the kind of stuff that I can understand for a shared delusion. One person screams and says that they see it, it and the other somebody, and the and next person yes. screams and says they see it too. That is exactly what happened with the Salem witch trials. That's why that shit happens. Mm. I get that. But when they all come together and they're like, I saw this thing. Oh, I did too. Like, you know, if they both say it independently, how is it a shared delusion? We don't need to worry about that. No, we don't. Because what immediately happens is there's a ruckus in Dalton's room. And they go there and it's not opening. Josh needs to break down the door. And when they get in, everything is everywhere and tossed up and shredded and and paper and material is in the air and Dalton is lying on the floor still in a coma and there's all the sheets are shredded and there's a handprint again and Josh is like okay all right fine yeah this is the moment this so, is the moment for me too i said there is a very specific moment where it's like nope i 100% believe now this is it okay so we then get to meet some of the funniest characters in the film Yes. Uh, Specs and Tucker. Yes, Specs, of course, being Lee Winnell, who wrote the movie. And they are very funny. They work for Lynn Shay. They're her assistants. And so she's the medium, but they do... Specs does all of the drawing and handwriting, whereas Tucker does all the technical shit. Yes. And they both bicker about who's more important uh-huh. to the whole process. It's fun little com- comedy relief. And what is Tucker eating when they walk in? He just happens to have a Hot Pocket. Hot Pocket. (laughs) Like, is it cold? Do they have a microwave in their van? Probably. They got a lot of shit in their van. It's very gross. And if you're a Jim Gaffigan fan. (laughs) Uh, Tonight's specials, we have a sea bass, which is broiled. And we have a Hot Pocket, which is cooked in a dirty microwave. And that comes with a side of Pepto. (laughs) Is your Hot Pocket cold in the middle? It's frozen. (laughs) But it can be served boiling lava hot. (laughs) Will it burn my mouth? It'll destroy your mouth. (laughs) Everything will taste like rubber for a month. All of the Hot Pocket. Hot Pocket! But so they are sent before Lin Shay to figure out the reality of the situation. Weed out the nut jobs. Which doesn't make a lot of sense in this particular case, but whatever. Yeah, they're, they they just go before every single case to see if, oh, right, no, there's an electrical, you know, leak Barbara or whatever. Her- well, we're going to end up finding out that Barbara Hershey knows Lin Shay, which is why she invited her to go. Uh-huh. So it doesn't make a lot of sense why they would need to check it. Yeah, but they do. And as they're going around, they're doing their, we see all their fun gadgets and everything like that. They're talking to the family. But Tucker is on his own and he's using the Viewmaster where they have the, I don't know if you guys know what a Viewmaster is, but it's a fun little 3D visualizer thing where you put in these wheels that have images in them and then you look through the end and then you pull the switch and it changes the picture. Well, he's changed the wheel with these different sort of gels on them that allow him to see, you know, different light frequencies or wavelengths. And he's changing, and as he changes it, we see it's changing the color of the camera. Yes, and I definitely 
remember sitting in the theater and my heart was pounding. You knew something. He was going to see something as soon as it changed. It was a novel reinterpretation of the it's pitch black dark and all I have is a flash camera. Yes. And so it was an interesting reinterpretation of that. And sure enough, he's taking pictures. He's standing outside Foster's room at the end of the hallway looking across the grandfather clock that they have towards the entryway to Dalton's room. And when he changes to one of the colors, we see these women from the 60s, maybe? Sisters, Sisters, I may, yeah, uh-huh. And smiling at him with these big, creepy smiles. Yes. And he freaks out. They and scared the hell out of me. <laughs> I screamed so hard the first uh -huh. time I saw this. And he's like, we don't have to worry about the tests. We can call Elise now. Call Elise, yeah. <laughs> we can call Elise. Now. So Elise or Lynn Shay shows up. And she's awesome. She's perfect. She does very well. I love her in this. It's especially weird when I didn't really know who Lynn Shay was. And when this movie came out and in my mind, like I didn't, I don't think of her as, oh, she's a teacher in Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, she's from Critters. You know, like I didn't really think about any of this stuff or I hadn't seen it. To me, Lynn Shay was the landlord from Kingpin that always does the the cunnilingus gesture with her tongue and fingers. <laughs> and like, that's what Lynn Shea is to me. <laughs> so it's really weird to see her as this really kind of wholesome. The first moment you see her, she's smiling and laughing. And, you know, because they open the door right as she's knocking. And, oh, you know, pleasant. She's a lovely woman. That's very funny. <laughs> So she does her own inspection. Well, she knows it immediately, too. Yes. Immediately, she's just like, I know this is a real haunting. Uh-huh. So she's walking through the house, and Specs and Tucker are walking behind her for whatever she needs, and she grabs Specs when she goes into Dalton's room, and she looks up into the corner, and she whispers to him, and he's drawing what she sees. And we can actually hear her. She is whispering and she is speaking really fast. And you don't hear everything, but she's saying like, you know, black body, black arms, black legs, black eyes, hooves red face, feet. hooves for feet. Yeah. And but she's obviously very panicked and he's drawing. And at a certain point, Renee can't take it anymore. Rose Byrne. And she goes and she grabs the drawing away from Specs and she sees the first like other than the shot we got from behind Josh's face, like the first real definitive look at what this demon looks like. Right. And it's up in the corner of the ceiling. And so she runs and she turns on the light and there's nothing there. Right. So they all sit down because Lin Shea is like, we need to move fast. Yeah. We don't have time for me to do the things that I would ordinarily do. So I'm just going to have to dive you into this. Yeah. And so she's explaining. Get straight to the weird shit. Yeah. She explains that her their son is good at astral projection, which if you don't know what that means, it's supposed to be your spirit leaving your your physical body and going into the void. Yeah. As she calls it, the further. The further, which is apparently supposed to be what this movie was called. The further? Yeah. Hmm. Wonder why they chose Insidious. I don't know. Is Insidious sounds cooler? Yeah, it's cooler. And she explains that their son is lost in the further. He doesn't know that that's what he's doing. He thinks it's a dream and that's why he feels safe. But Patrick Wilson has had enough. Yeah. 
this is nonsense. He Well, I don't think that he thinks it's nonsense. I think he sees that they are here and they expect to get paid for what they're doing. And uh-huh. he's like, you're, you're preying on a family who's dealing with a serious illness. Yes. Now you bring our kid into it. You're trying to exploit us. This is the first time anyone's really, aside from when Barbara Hershey said, oh, in my dream, the demon said it wanted Dalton. This is like the first time anyone said, like, oh, the reason that you're being haunted is because of Dalton. She says, you guys, th- the house isn't haunted. The reason it came with you is because it came with Dalton. And so he's like, no, 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 no. You are not bringing this family tragedy into here. You are not taking advantage of us this way. I've I've sat here and I listened to everything you had to say. And now you have to leave. And he kicks them out. Yes. And Lin Shay is like, you know what? I'm really sorry. Good luck. Yes. When Rose Byrne is like, what are you doing? You're not supporting me in this. We need to hear them out. And he's like, I moved houses for you. What do you mean I don't believe you? I'm on your side here. But this, this is dangerous and exploitative. Which is a line that I use all the time. Yes. It's so good. And he's right. We are in love with Patrick Wilson. Yes. (laughs) Even though he he is a dick sometimes in this movie, and he does the wrong thing, I think is what it is. He has good intentions, and he's such a good husband. He's a really really good husband, except for the fact that he does avoid. But honestly, I think, and you don't read it this way, which is interesting, I think the ghosts are fucking with him. Yeah. No, I, I just think that's him trying to avoid it. But anyway... I think that Patrick Wilson does an excellent job in this next scene. It's just him. I mean, Dalton's there, but he's in a fucking coma. Yeah. (laughs) So it's just him having a conversation with his son in a coma, and he's trying to talk to him, you know, like, where are you? What's wrong? What happened? Show me. And this is when a drawing falls to the floor. It's on this bulletin board that's in Dalton's room, which... They would have had to have carried from one house to the other and not noticed anything that was on it and decided to put up. In the same order that he did, in the same position that he did. Yes. This movie is more style than substance. I will grant you that. (laughs) I will grant you that. Yes, there's a lot of style to this movie. And I like it. It works. And the first time you see this, it is incredible. Unfortunately, the more times you see it, the more the cracks start to show. And that's okay. No movie's perfect. Mm-hmm. So my problem, because I hadn't even thought about that, the fact that they put them up in the exact same place, you're yep. absolutely right. But what I was thinking is, later we're going to find out where Dalton is. Yes. He ain't in this room. He ain't in this room. No, he's not. So, so what caused that thing to fall? Mm-hmm. Good question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe it's a lease from outside going... Figure it out, motherfucker. (laughs) Right, exactly. And, of course, if we're going to say that there is a further, and she does specifically call him a demon, does she? I think she calls him a demon. Yeah, she says there there is a distinction between what Renee has been seeing and what the real threat is. What Renee has been seeing is ghosts. And they just want to live. They just love life. They like to be around life. And that's why, you know, because... 
Dalton is kind of opening this gateway by leaving this body empty, is opening this gateway between the further and reality, they're kind of amassing around him and they're starting to bleed through into reality. But they're, they're not inherently evil, but they could potentially do harm. Right. It's the demon that's the real threat. The demon wants to take the body and live again, or, and, and having never lived. And like kill. Yes. It has an insidious... Nature. Yes. Yes, very much so. And that's Agenda. Where the, yeah, exactly. They are all trying to get inside of his physical body simply because they, they crave life, the chance to live again. But there are other entities who are malevolent and have a more insidious agenda. And then there is this, a demon who seeks Dalton's body for one reason, to cause pain to others. That's where the term insidious, that's what it's supposed to refer to is the nature of this demon. But so if we do believe in a world that has demons, maybe they're supposed to be angels and God as well. So maybe they're helping. Right. Him. But we never get into that in this movie. Not at but all. Yeah, it, is, it is theoretically possible. So this causes Patrick Wilson to go and look at the drawings. And he realizes that all of these drawings that he has seen and has even mentioned previously in uh -huh. the film. About him being able to fly and stuff like that. Are telling him exactly what Lin Shay was saying. Uh-huh. He because in the pictures that the boy drew, it says, Last night I flew out of my body, I watched me sleep, and then I flew away. Yeah. And he also sees pictures of the lipstick face demon. And other things that we don't know what they mean yet. Not everything here pays off immediately. Yes. And so he finally submits. And he says, he okay, starts fine. to cry. Yes. And that's when Renee walks in and, and she hugs him and then he says, okay, okay. And they invite Lin Shay back. And and Lin Shay mentions that, oh, the kids are with Barbara Hershey, which will be important later. <laughs> minorly, minorly important? Is that a thing? I'll bring it up again later. So they invite Lin Shay back along with Specs and Tucker. And Lin Shay is like, all right, now I'm going to go ahead and basically hold a seance I'm going to go into the further and I'm going to look for your son. Mm -hmm. Now, if you want to talk about the way the further works, there's no point. It, look, if it really did exist, yes, there are definitely, if I sat down and like tried to work it all out, I'm sure it would all eventually make sense. So here's what I think is happening here. <laughs> What 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 would you what we see on screen is that Lin Shay puts a gas mask on and it has a tube that runs to, through to some headphones that Specs is wearing and Specs is going to transcribe a conversation and yes it's all unnecessarily spooky but the point is is that she's going to be speaking really quietly because Lin Shay is going to project herself she's going to leave. She's going to call out to Dalton, and she is going to repeat what Dalton says, and that's what Specs is going to write down. So she is projecting. She is looking out into the further, which we haven't seen yet, but we will. And But look, guys, if this really did exist, like I said, we could sit down and try and figure this all out. It's a movie. Yeah. And it's talking about 
another plane uh-huh. of reality where ghosts exist. I, You can sit there and tell me that none of this makes sense. And I'd probably agree with you. Style over substance, baby. Exactly. There's there's just there's not a lot. The only way that we can make the further make sense is to bore you. Yeah. So fuck that. Yeah. I mean, the one downside of style over substance is when the style isn't any good. And that's when you get a terrible movie. And I don't think this falls prey to that. Right. It's got a lot of great style, which helps you just be like, eh, fuck it. I don't understand yeah. how it works. <laughs> so she goes and... And uh, basically what happens, they have all these cameras set up and the light bulbs are popping whenever it takes a picture, which is scaring people. I thought it was when the temperature changed. Well, they have a bunch of different sensors. But yes, when something changes in the room, it takes a picture. And there's a video camera that's recording. And that's what Tucker's doing around the room while they're doing this. And we just have these pops going off at regular or irregular intervals. And... She is calling out to Dalton. Dalton responds and is like, you got to be quiet. They'll hear you. And she's like, they won't hear me. Don't worry. Just follow my voice. Come to me. I can't. And so there's obviously some sort of concern that wherever Dalton is, he's trapped. It's not just that he's lost. And then he starts panicking because something is coming to him and he's freaking out and he's panicking. And then shit goes nuts. The lipstick demon, who we assume is the one that she's talking to, begins to scream at her and is threatening to kill her and calling her a bitch and all this stuff and ends up screaming so loud that Spex throws off the headphones because it hurts his ear so much. And that is when Dalton gets up. Yeah, we hear the electrocardiogram. We hear the flatline. We're like, oh my god, did Dalton just die? No, he's just come unhooked from all of his sensors. And Which he's never happened there. before when he would go walking yes, around. Uh-huh. Who knows? Maybe he's walking around tethered to those things. Just just why or they, Foster see, sees I can just see the lipstick face demon picking him up gently, uh-huh. making sure that all the things are inside of him, and then walking him uh-huh. slowly through That's the house, making sure. sure that he's carrying all of the things around sure. with him. Sure. I didn't say he got far. <laughs> there is a scary moment earlier when Foster gets up and closes his door because he's just terrified that he's going to see his brother walk around again. But yeah, Dalton is there, standing there at the table next to them, and Josh goes, Dalton? And then he lifts up his hand, over the table and slams it down. And then there's like this psychic blast that blows everyone around the room. And it's nuts. Just things are going crazy. Things are flying around. The ghosts the are ghosts coming start in. start showing up. One, the man is attacking Rose Byrne and like licks her face just like the leprechaun did. Uh-huh. In Leprechaun 2. And like in, I think, John and Tucker versus Evil. Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Something. I don't know. People look at people's faces. Yeah. <laughs> and so Lynn Shay grabs the kid, Dalton, and is screaming, leave this body now. Yes. Because how do you, if everything is about the spirit, how do you physically manifest that you're doing something? And so it can seem a little ridiculous when you're just like, go away, go away. And it does. And you're like, okay, what happened there? But. That's just Lin Shay pushing out this psychic energy. Yes. Apparently. The way the movie will continue to represent psychic battles gets just lamer and lamer. I gotta say. 
And it's one of the things I hate the most about this movie. It's just kind of silly, but we'll get there. But eventually everything calms down when they're able to get, I guess, the demon out of Dalton's body, but it's a really close call. This would have, this could have been the moment if Lin Shay wasn't there where Dalton was lost forever. So as they're picking up everything, Specs has two stakes on either side of his head because he got thrown across the room several times. Oh, I thought it was because of the screaming of the ears. Well, you know how you So he's put, not on both yeah, sides. Yeah, maybe. But his head hurts, I think, is the deal. But Tucker is looking through and he's like, we got this many cameras and this many shots and we got nothing. But I'm going frame by frame through this video and there is one frame and you can see it. And he shows it to Specs, and it is the lipstick face demon, like, guiding around Dalton, throwing things across the room, but he's, like, guiding him like a puppet. Yes. And so Lin Shay calls over Barbara Hershey. Now, this is where I was going to say, who's watching the other two kids? Yeah. They don't even mention it. Nope. <laughs> like, they specifically mention, where are the other kids? We don't need to worry about them now, because Barbara Hershey's got them. And then we see Barbara Hershey later, no kids. Yeah. No explanation. Where's the baby? Where's Foster? Yeah. <laughs> but it's fine. Barbara Hershey's going to explain how she knows Elise. Yes. Well, first, Lynn Shea starts out this conversation uh-huh. by explaining that the gift of astral projection was passed down to Dalton from his father. And Patrick Wilson's like, uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. And that is when Barbara Hershey comes out of the shadows and she's like, it's true. Yes. And she shows them a collection of photographs. And we said before he's averse to getting his picture taken and it's just this weird sort of thing that he has and he doesn't know why. Well, it's because when he was a kid, Barbara Hershey would notice and when she took pictures of him, there was this figure in them and it would get closer and closer and closer, and it was this like old woman in mourning, yeah, of some sort, wearing a black dress and a black veil, and it was like reaching out for Josh. And so she called Elise. Elise figured out it was this astral projection thing, and this was a spirit trying to get inside of his body, a demon of some sort. So what she did is she sort of blocked out that ability subconsciously from Josh, so he would just stop doing it, and then he would forget. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. Mm-hmm. He just stopped astral projecting to protect him, and he just had this aversion to to having his picture taken, and that was it. But now they realize that Dalton's in the same situation, and it's too late because he his spirit has already been taken and is being trapped. And now they have no way of preventing this lipstick face demon from taking the body. So, Josh, as somebody who can astral project and is Dalton's father... You need to find him, and you need to bring him back. So she hypnotizes him. Well, she explains that you've got to keep a low profile. If they realize that you're not one of them, they'll come after you. Because again, oh no, here's another human vessel we can take over. Yes. You do not want them to pay attention to you. Uh Not that they're inherently dangerous, or that they can necessarily do anything to you while you're in the further, but... Yes, them knowing that you're a spirit without a body is a very bad thing because they're going to come after your body. And if they can hold you there, that that would be bad for you. So, And then we get a very strange little thing because at first Patrick Wilson's kind of nervous about it. And Rose Byrne, to, to get him to feel confident, says to him, 
you've always been stronger than me. You can do this. Uh huh. And I'm like, couldn't she have just said, you're strong? Did it have to be like, a, yeah. you're stronger than me? Why? She's got to give him a pep talk. <laughs> but do you see how it's like these little choices, they, they make a huge difference. You've always been stronger than me. Why did we need to have her say that? Why couldn't she just say, you're strong? I know yeah. you can do this. Weird. A little insight into this relationship, I think. But Lin Shay hypnotizes Josh. And he's like, it doesn't work right away. And so he gets up and it's like, see, it didn't work. We know immediately because the camera has changed. But he turns around and he sees himself sitting in the chair. And Lin Shay in front of him. And she turns her head slightly as if to suggest that, yes, I know you're there standing behind me now. And she basically tells him, get searching. Mm-hmm. And so he goes off. He grabs a lantern and goes outside the house. And there's just an empty blackness. And he doesn't know where to go. And he's wandering around. There's there's fog. There's blackness. And he ends up finding a young version of himself. There's no real explanation as to what this means, but it is helping him and points him somewhere else. And so he follows in the direction that young Josh pointed and where he ends up is their old house. Because that's where he got stuck. Yes, that's where the coma originally started. I like that little detail. Mm-hmm. And he walks inside and he's going to run into a bunch of Well, as ghosts. he walks inside, a bride just walks by him. Ignores his presence. We're going to see a couple of fun ghosts here. Yes. But basically, like, he sees, like, a woman crying. And these people are all disappearing, and they just ignore him completely. For the most part, yeah. Because uh-huh. they're doing their own thing. Reliving the, the circumstances before they of their died, death. And, yeah. Uh-huh. Something like that. We don't quite know. They got these creepy grins and weird staging, and they're frozen in time, but then they move, and then they're frozen again. Yes. And we see, we basically get to see what happened to those two sisters that we saw earlier. Yeah, one killed her entire family. Yes, and it seems like it's because they had, like, the whole perfect nuclear 50s family yeah, thing going uh-huh. on, and it probably wasn't real. But there's a really creepy moment, and it's really well done, where Patrick Wilson kind of becomes used to, well, I guess they just don't acknowledge me, right? Yeah. I guess that's just what's happening now. Oh, he so, gets right, is this where he gets right up in the mom's face? Yeah. Yes. To, like, look at her, and it's like, are you frozen? Are you real? Like, are is, you real? Like, Holds the lantern up, and all of a sudden she just blinks. Yes. It's the and She doesn't do anything thing. else. She just blinks. And he's like, oh, Jesus. It's fucking <laughs> terrifying, because that makes you know that they are aware of his presence, and uh-huh. they just aren't responding to uh-huh. it, which is so much creepier. It is. He ends up making his way upstairs into the attic, where he sees... A red door that wasn't always there before. And we saw that red door earlier in the drawings. Yes. It's one of the drawings that hadn't paid off yet. But this is one of the reasons why that attic is so scary. And one of the first times that the lipstick face demon was ever introduced to Dalton when he fell off that ladder originally. Because this is the pathway to where the lipstick face demon lives. Through this door. It's the further... It's magic, man. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> uh, why is it there? Who yeah. It there? <laughs> As Josh approaches the door, the dude in the leather trench coat shows up 
and they get into a spirit fight and it's so fucking dumb but we just have this moment where josh in the real world is like and jostling in the chair and everyone's like oh my god you gotta you're more powerful than him because you're alive you're stronger and then he psychic hadoukens him and then the dude just flies away off into the darkness, which See, is a cool visual. With any of this, the flying away into the darkness thing is kind of like a like you think there should be a wall there, and it turns out it's just off into infinity. Is really fucking cool, but just the I feel harder, so when I push you, it's like. See, I don't have a problem with that because <laughs> that has to do with the magic of this world. Sure, and it just I don't seems have a, a little. It just seems I a don't have silly a problem with saying that in this world you have these abilities. Sure. That's fine. I can totally say fine. But this is this is I think one of the reasons why I think books get away with a lot more and we hold books on a higher pedestal because they're so much better at it. No, no, no. They're telling you the same stories. It's just you don't have to see them played out in front of you and realize how fucking silly they actually are. And this is one of those moments where conceptually it makes sense and if this was written out in a book, we would have loved it. But now we have to see it played out and to me, it's enacted kind of Silly. But he ends up beating him. Like I said, the way that the monster flies away is actually kind of cool. And then Josh goes into the red door where he stumbles upon this elaborate museum-like mansion thing. It's really creepy. There's stained glass. There's there's a horse statue. A horse statue, which is another thing that Dalton drew. Yeah. uh, But eventually he comes across Dalton chained in shackles near like this ornate fireplace on the floor. In and this the plaza. same music is being played here. Tiptoe through the tulips is being played here, which again is like from the six. This version is from the sixties, but it sounds creepy. Style over substance. Style over substance. Again, yes, and I am fine with that because all these things. The handprint versus the hand of the ghost coming towards him. Like, I see that these are running motifs, and the music is a running motif, and I understand all that. And I'm fine with it. I just want to point out that, yes, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. It looks good, and it works for the film, and it carries these ideas throughout, and that's good for a movie-going experience and for the audience. Absolutely. I just want to show you that when you when you come out of the theater at the end of the day and you sit down and think about it, some of these things don't work. There's a moment that's going to come up right now, actually, because Josh finds Dalton and and Dalton's like, I'm trapped. I can't get out of here. Dad, dad. Uh, Oh, he's right up there. You got to be quiet. He's right up there. And then the camera goes up to this. There's this sort of like uh, I, I, I say stained glass. I mean, it's like colored glass. It's not. You know, it's meant to be a portal that you can see through, and there's this window looking down on where they are in a room behind that window. And there's a lipstick face demon, and he's running like a sewing machine rig, but it's actually like a grinder that is sharpening his claws. And we got tiptoe through the tulips is played loudly once we're inside this room. And then there are a bunch of like marionettes and other things. And it, you gotta wonder. How did this room get this way? Like, was the lipstick face demon just like, you know what would be creepy? Marionettes. Like, otherwise, why did he get them? We saw him earlier. He is puppeting. Again, a motif, but the logistics of why the lipstick lipstick face demon would have decorated this place with things that explicitly look creepy. Whenever he does that, he creates a marionette of that person. I would love. To hear more about that. That is, like, legitimately, 
That's fascinating. Man, we should get more of the lipstick face demon. Anyway. But that's what I was thinking, because he uses people like marionettes. Yeah. So when he uses them, he creates their own marionettes. That's interesting. It's really cool. Anyway, <laughs> back down to Josh and Dalton down on the floor. Josh is taking the shackles off of his legs when Dalton starts freaking out. And it's like, oh, my God, he's looking at us. And this was so fucking creepy. Like, incredibly creepy, because when Josh turns around and looks at that window again, the lipstick face demon has his hands pressed up against the window. It's just staring at him, and he's kind of panting. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, man, that's so creepy. Mm-hmm. And Josh is like, oh, shit, we need to get out of here right now. Mm-hmm. And he picks up Dalton, and when he picks him up and turns to go, he looks back up at the window, and the lipstick face demon is gone. Mm-hmm. And then he ends up down on the floor with them, and then they have a little psychic battle. <laughs> <laughs> But they're able to run away, and then they're running through the streets trying to get the back further, to- The further, the darkness, get back to the old house, to get back to the current house. But the because house. they're in such a hurry and so panicked, people are paying attention to them. Yes. And they're being swarmed upon by these, these ghosts. ghosts. Yes. Elise tells Rose Byrne, Renee, call out to him. He needs to hear Which, your Which, why does it have to be her- Lin Shay didn't try to call out to him. She just suddenly think, said, Rose Byrne, do it. <laughs> I think there needs to be like a, an emotional connection. Okay. There. Like people that you're connected with emotionally, your voice probably reaches farther. But anyway, Dalton hears his mom. Is that mom's voice? And he's Dad, like, yeah. listen, I think uh-huh. it's mommy. And there's these really cool aerial shots where he's swinging the lantern around. Because when they get out for the red door, he tells Dalton to pick up the lantern. And so he's carrying Dalton. Dalton's carrying the lantern. They're running through these people. And then there are these aerial shots from above where they swing around in a circle. And you see just how claustrophobic it is with all these ghosts getting in and getting closer. And they're able to push their way through. And they make it to this house and the front door is locked. So they have to go through the back door. Meanwhile, the lights have gone out. In the house. In the house. And so Specs goes to get a flashlight and Tucker gets a light and it's, and it's much bigger. Way bigger, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> that made me giggle. We get kind of a lame thing here. So the, so the ghosts are not only coming after... Well, I mean, they're coming after uh, Dalton and Patrick Wilson, but now that they're at the house, they're swarming in on uh-huh. the house as well. It's starting to bleed into reality. And there's kind of a lame moment where, like, Specs opens a drawer. I don't remember why. And, like, the hand comes but out. But you from jump every single drawer. time. <laughs> it's kind well, of a jump scare. James Wan is incredible when it comes to, like I said, building tension. Uh-huh. He's very good at it. And he is excellent at making you jump. Yes. And I don't have a problem with that. I know a lot of people don't like jump scares. I've always thought they were perfectly fine, especially since these are being used to the effect of all these things are happening at once. It's not just a da-da sewing machine. Yes. Fuck you, Annabelle. Exactly. Agreed. So... They do manage to make it inside. Josh and Dalton manage to make it inside the back door. And Josh is out of breath from running, from carrying his son, from astral projecting. And he's exhausted. And he sends Dalton off on his own. We'll get to Dalton in a second. And he's resting there. And then he turns and he's like, you. And we don't see who you is yet. 
Then we cut back to Dalton, and Dalton runs down the hallway and just opens the first door he gets to. Because I love this. They don't call it out. They don't say it. But Dalton has never fucking been to this house. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know where anything is. Mm -hmm. And so he goes, and it's his parents' room that he first gets to. And then he goes to the baby's room, and that's where the lipstick face demon is. And he comes popping out. And then we get this chase. He runs back into his parents' room on top of the bed. Then the the demon comes from underneath the bed. Meanwhile, all the people in reality are freaking out because of all the ghosts. Josh is now looking out the window to outside, and he sees the woman in black. Okay, you say that. I was actually going to point out, I think it's a mirror. Yes. And I think he's on the further side of the mirror and we just don't realize well the that. camera there's does this really cool effect where it swings around through the wall to both sides and i think in that moment is when things change that's what that camera motion is is reflecting because we'll see josh looking through the window because i think it is a window because they're the panes and they're curtains and we see the we see josh and we see the woman in black on the other side and then it swings all the way around to the other side, and then I think they might have changed positions there, is what happens. That would make sense, because when you know what's going to happen at the end of the film, you're paying a lot of attention to this scene, and this is the first time that I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. I see what they did. So, Dalton is running away, and... The lipstick face demon is like slamming its limbs on the walls as it crawls on the walls and making these big holes as it comes after him, moves kind of jittery, and it's really terrifying. He ends up making it to his room, and then we get these two point of view shots. We don't see it happen, we just see their point of view. One shot goes towards Josh's body, and the other shot goes towards Dalton's body, and then everything calms down, and then Dalton wakes up. I made it back. Specs and... Barbara Hershey are in that room and they go, oh, my God, Dalton, he's awake, you know, and Barbara Hershey picks up her grandson and carries him into the living room where now all of a sudden Josh is waking up and everyone's really excited. Things are back to normal. Josh is talking to Elise in the living room while in the kitchen. Barbara Hershey and Rose Byrne are talking to Dalton and he's eating a lot. Oh, you're really hungry, aren't you? And he's like, yeah, and I'm really tired, too. And they're just laughing. They're just so thankful that Dalton's back and that this trip was a success and josh ends up handing elise something in the living room as elise is talking to him and she grabs it from him and we don't see what she sees but she just pauses and she has this terrified look on her face and then she turns around she reaches into her bag and pulls out a camera and when josh turns back around to her she pull lifts it up and snaps a picture and josh gets really angry he's like why would you do that you know i don't like that you know I don't like to have my picture taken. And then he starts strangling her he very screams loudly. screams at her. Very loudly. And there, it is unreasonable that they would not hear him. Completely. Especially when we know where the dining room is. Completely. It's, it, there, is no, there is no wall or door separating them. Yeah. You gotta just deal with that. Yeah. So he starts strangling her. And yelling at her. And they what? kind of hear something vaguely. I... Because he says, why would you do that? Why? And I wrote, why don't they hear you shouting? Why? (laughs) They do hear something vaguely and they're like, what's going on? And Renee's like, okay, Lorraine, you stay here with, yes, there are two Lorraines because 
Lorraine Warren in the Conjuring movies. So Patrick Wilson's mom is Lorraine in this, and his wife is Lorraine in the Conjuring films. But anyway, Roseburn gets up and heads to the living room. He's like, what's going on in here? And no one's in there until she sees Elise sitting in the chair. And when she looks, Elise is just dead. And strangled. Yes. And she's like, oh, my God. And then she picks up the camera and she looks at the, the photograph because the camera's right there. But before we see the camera, we do a flashback. Yes. To what Lynn Shay saw. Which is the hand she saw the old woman in black's hands. She got a glimpse of it. The and dirty fingernails. Yes. And so she took the picture. We go back to present time. We see the picture is of the old woman in the black dress. And Rose Byrne. And then... We get a hand on Rose Byrne's uh, shoulder. I'm right here, honey. And she turns and gasps. <gasps> and it's End of the movie. such a good ending. So good. It is an incredible ending. And that is why when we found out that the sequel was coming out, we were not happy. Uh-huh. Because we're like, no, just did, leave it where it is. But they did an excellent they job. They did an incredible job of like, no, this is what the sequel is going to be about now. What's going on with Josh? And you think that maybe they're just going to pretend like that ending didn't happen. No, 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 no. no. Nope. They start up right then and there and they tell you exactly what happens here. And it's They do it right. Well done. They do a sequel right. Yes. And this ending is so cool. But killing Elise is one of the biggest mistakes they ever made. It's like well, killing Randy and Scream 2. I don't think they were planning too. on turning it into a, a, a series of movies. Say, I don't think they were planning on making a Scream 3, so they killed off Randy in that one. I don't think that they were ma- planning on making a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, so they killed off Shredder by crushing him in a trash compactor at the end of that. <laughs> he is dead. His body parts are squishy. His bones are all broken, but he still manages to come back in the sequel. Or the Joker... In, the, in his first appearance in a Batman comic, Batman literally murders the Joker. He is dead in his very first appearance. And they have to come up with some contrived reason to bring them back because they're like the best character. So we get Elise through her friend, who's also a psychic, in the sequel. And then we'll, we'll see Elise in the spirit world because she's dead. And... Then the third movie, well, that has to be a flashback a to prequel. back in time when she Isn't that was. A prequel? A, yeah, it is. It takes place in like the seventies or eighties or something like that when she's still alive. And so it's like they need to come up with all these contrived reasons why we can still have Elise because she's a great character and everyone loved her. <laughs> but because they raised the stakes of the ending of this movie so much, they killed her, and then they're kind of you know put in a tough spot because she is kind of insidious. Like, she is the franchise. Or at least that's what it becomes. It should have been, like, this family. Yeah, they it should have been Rose Byrne and Patrick Wilson. And it should have been done. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Do you have anything else to say about this movie, Kelsey? I think we've talked about this in the past. How Patrick Wilson does a lot of screaming in James Wan movies. There's a lot of that in here as well. Yeah. He does a lot of screaming of people's names. Uh-huh. <laughs> So that's in here quite a bit. Yells Renee's name. Yells Dalton's name. Yes. Does a lot of yelling in his in his career. We didn't mention it. Uh, there, You can see the Jigsaw doll oh, in yeah, the background. Oh, yeah, it's drawn on the I remember board. seeing that in the theater and being like, what the fuck? 
Because I had no idea that nobody this was the knew same who person. James Wan was. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like, is he a fan? I don't get me wrong. Obviously, people know who James Wan was back then. Yes, of course they do. But we be, didn't. Oh, I knew who he was. You're not impressing us. Shut <laughs> up. The world didn't know who he really was. You could have said his name and nobody would have known what you were talking about. Now that's not the case. He directed fucking Aquaman. And, and Patrick Wilson is in that. <laughs> yes, he is. But look, I think this movie is great. It has a lot of flaws. It's imperfect. It, it is imperfect. But I think what this movie is successful at, what more movies need to be successful at, is that it's entertaining, it's scary, and it is, there's a lot of talent. The part where we talk about this may be taken out, so I might have to describe this again. But honestly, talking about it now, I really think it is the John Wick of horror movies. Where it is really, really stylish, and that's what makes it fun, and that's what makes it entertaining. If you're here for some sort of, like, cerebral whodunit or whatever, then watch a different movie. Like, you know, if, if, if your favorite genre is a musical, why would you go and see a World War II movie that doesn't have any music in it? You know what I'm saying? Like... What are what is it you're looking for? Right, I understand that, but that look, I'm fine with admitting that I'm giving excuses to this movie. I see that this movie does have a lot of flaws, yes. but it makes up for them in how good the rest of the film is. So it allows me to just be like, I don't care. Exactly, that's what I'm saying because I'm not here for that kind of thing. Right, but what I'm saying is, is that. Upon viewing it more times, you see these things. Yes. And being that we look for the cracks in films, I'm going to find them. It's going to come up. Yeah. Um, Especially since we've seen it so many times. And we have to decide, okay, can I actually ignore this? But I can still say that this movie is still super entertaining and scary. And so I think that it makes up for it. So with that in mind, what do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? 83 66. Wow, I've been way off this week. Aside from a shaky final act, Insidious is a very scary and very fun haunted house thrill ride. Mm-hmm. Metacritic of 52. Wow. That's insane. That is nuts. How many people had to give it terrible reviews for it to average 52? Yeah. Of course, the thing about Metacritic is, is that it converts things to 100 scale, so Roger Ebert has four stars, right? And so if he gives a movie two stars, that's a 50, you know? So the conversion process for Metacritic is kind of wonky. And a cinema score of a B. Do you think this is overrated or underrated? Way underrated. Yeah, I would have given this movie an A walking out of the theater, I think. Well, walking out of the theater, I would have given it an A. Yeah. I'm going to give this an 81. I was going to go full 85. I think this is a just a smack dab in the middle of a really good movie. It's a very good movie. I just wish it didn't have as many issues as I found this time sure. around. But that uh, it's hilarious because it says it has a rocky half, like a rocky ending. Final act because the final act for me is the mm. best part. I I mean the focus switches from Rose Byrne being scared to. Patrick Wilson doing something about it. Yeah. And that's way more fun for me uh -huh. 
watching him go into the further and do it, especially since he didn't believe in it in the beginning. Like, I think that part's a lot of fun. And I think he's a great actor. Yeah. And I think he and James Wan work really well together. I agree. Yeah, there's a reason why he's in all of James Wan's movies. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And don't get me wrong. I thought Rose Byrne, I thought Barbara Hershey. I thought they both did a great job. Yeah. But Patrick Wilson shines here because I think he just really pulls off the whole, I don't believe you, but I love you. Yeah. And I'm willing to do what it takes. And then he, on top of that, accomplishes when it's like, well, this is scary as fuck. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be doing this, but I have to do it. And I don't even know if I really believe in it, but I'm here. Like, I think he just does. I think he pulls that off very well. Yeah. I agree. And we can't forget about Lynn Shay, who's the heart of the franchise. <laughs> you say that. I thought she's fine. I love her so much. I like Specs and Tucker more. I think yes. they're really funny. Well, I think the three of them are really good together. Yeah. And really, if you were going to do a franchise, it should have been all three of them. You'd think. You'd think that's where they would have gone with it. But nope. No. And they should have just ended it after two anyway. Yeah, you're right. 100%. <laughs> all right. That is our Haunted People Week. With 2000's What Lies Beneath and 2010's Insidious, what are we watching next week, Kelsey? Next week is Recommendation Week. All right, let's hear it. Who recommended what? These are two movies that most people probably never heard of. I had heard of one of them, but not the other. We will be watching Bad Ronald, which was recommended to us by Cruel01. But they spell it like a jewel, Cruel. Oh. Oh, one. Cool. Mm-hmm. And then Evil Within, The Evil Within, sorry. And The Evil Within, there are a couple of movies that have that same title. And a video game franchise. We will be specifically watching the one from 2017. And that was recommended to us by our friend Bob, who was on the show before. Yeah. Thank you, Bob. And thank you, Cruel One. Yes. Cruel One. Yes. Cool. I really hope that that's what you meant. And it's not like crew, like (laughs) C-R-E-W. Crew L-O-1. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. But cruel one is probably what you're going for. Yeah, I think that's really cool. Thank you both very much. Really appreciate it. So next week, Bad Ronald and Evil Within. Until then, you can always reach us at our website, podcemetery.com, where you can get a list of every movie we've ever covered in alphabetical order. It's a great way to explore our backlog. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. There's tons of stuff that we put on our Twitter, including things that we correct when we get it wrong in the episode, things that are more visual in nature that you can't get in the podcast, so additional context you get there. Don't forget to subscribe in your podcatcher of choice. Also, rating and reviewing is a big help. Five-star written reviews being the biggest help of all. So thank you all very much for those of you that have done that. It's been a huge help. But even better than that is sharing us with your friends and family and the folks that you love and even those folks that you hate. But even bigger than that is listening in the GD first place. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey... Any last words? You're now outside. Let my voice be your guide. Keep a steady stride. Into the further you go. Baby,
apparently when Tom Cruise was trying to lose all that weight, filming you said went Tom on hold. Cruise. Things are starting to build up. She's going to get to that place. <sighs> Jesus. Sorry. Yeah, what's that? What's that Jim Gaffigan joke about how you ever be lying in bed and you're trying to get to sleep or you you wake up in the middle of the night and you hear something from your house and you you swear that someone has broken into your house and is going to kill you but you just go back to bed? <laughs> It's just, you, you rationalize it. it's probably not, but that would be the time that somebody's actually broken into your house and killing you. Yeah. Uh, okay. Are you drinking water over there? Make sure you stay hydrated. Not supporting you. I moved houses for you. I'm stronger because I believe in it now. <laughs>